Hey, Internet, he is risen. You are paid for. That makes you immortal now. He won't be long anyway. The water seals it. The food feeds it. This is Christianity. You found the Mad Christian Saturday morning. Chill. It never really fails that I am afraid before I go live. It never fails. I think somehow I'm not going to know what to say. And what I haven't yet believed is that it doesn't matter whether or not I know what to say. I'm probably going to say something until it starts to make sense. And I'll be like, yeah, see, see, see. So anyway, how do you begin a show? I, I was once told that Rush Limbaugh, uh, he would always have like a thought that really wasn't a thought or a piece of news, but it would sound like it kind of was. And he would open the show like in the middle of talking about it and then change the subject and that that would be his in. Um, that seems clever if deceptive uh in terms of like broadcast right uh but but all the same it's got me thinking you know how do i open the show how do i do it right every time and then you, know, you ever hear that story about like you know well that person when they're famous you know they also get the butterflies before they go on stage and do all the stuff and that that's really true i think <coughs> as i cough into the mic uh i, I think that's true uh that uh, there is no day in this life that you will live, in which you will not experience some manner of fear over what you're going to have to face and do. Uh, you can overcome that fear. You can be very, you're like, I'm never afraid. That If you really are never afraid, that means you're afraid all the time and you don't admit it. If you've learned how to deal with your fear, it means every day when you face your fear, you walk through it, right? It doesn't mean you're never afraid. It means that you, in fact, <laughs> excuse me, you, you walk through the fear. Um, so anyway, why am I saying this? Because I walked through the fear of letting the show open this morning instead of running away and hiding in a closet. Oh, they're going to look at me again. I don't even know what to say. I have something really cool. I have lots of stuff really cool to say. I want to share with you Proverbs 21 verse 31. And I want you to memorize part B. Now I'm really thankful to the monks who put the verse numbers in the Bible. This makes it so much easier to study the Bible. Like you have no idea how hard it is to study the Bible. If... <laughs> I'm using this as a prop. You don't know how hard it is to study the Bible um, without verses until you would think about it. Like, think about that, how hard that would be. And that's how it was for a very long time, and then they didn't have many copies. So we live in an age of overabundance in which we are lazily unaware of how much abundance we have. And on the day that the word is taken from us as a group, we're going to be like, what happened? Famine of the word. I mean, the Bible talks about these things. Anyway, one of the things that they did when they made these verses is they took some guesses at sentence structure, right? They took some guesses at ideas, and they tried to package it together so that everything kind of fit in a similar concept and and i'm uh, look a thousand plus years ago when they decided to do this god bless those men in their lives so d please don't hear what i'm going to say which is like we could do better um as being that therefore they were wrong and evil and we should get rid of everything they ever did like like that kind of thinking america doesn't help us do anything but die okay so we gotta stop we gotta stop doing that um the verse numbers in the bible can be very very helpful for looking things up for memorizing things and whatnot they don't always fit with structure and theme and in this case, the whole proverb, Proverbs 21, 31, it does belong together, but that doesn't mean that you, uh, you have to memorize the whole proverb just to memorize the good part of the proverb that is really useful to remind yourself with from day to day, right? That kind of thing. Um, and so the trick here, where am I, where am I going? I'm riffing on and frustrated by the fact that I have to tell you, we're going to look at Proverbs 21, 31 B, <laughs> which just means the second half. No one's ever explained that to you. There's no real rules. It just means you're not starting in the beginning. And if it's C, it means like you had a B already and you want to break it three times. That rarely happens. But A means you're going to stop before the end, right? So 2131A would mean you start at the beginning and go into the middle somewhere and stop. And that's your verse. And you're trying to be honest about the fact that you're not quoting the, whole, quoting the whole verse. As if every time we quote the entire verse, what we need to do is like 
um, historically reference it for newspaper to pick it up and make sure we get it right in the future. As opposed to just like, hey, so this verse in the Bible says this, right? It doesn't have to be the whole verse. Anyway, the whole verse is great. The horse is prepared for the day of battle, deliverances of Jesus Christ. That's a phenomenal verse, the whole verse, Proverbs 21, 31. But what I want to zoom in on a little bit here is Proverbs 21, 31, B, <laughs> which is that deliverance is of Jesus Christ. Now, the Old Testament and Solomon did not declare the name Jesus Christ to be Lord. Rather, they prayed to Yahweh, the God of David, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who, who uh, well, put the temple into place effectively and inhabited that place. And that's who they were referring to. But we know because of the fulfillment of all of these prophecies in the one man, Jesus Christ, that this God was, is Jesus Christ, right? So, so to read the Old Testament without realizing that the Lord is Jesus Christ is darn near foolish. I mean, it is. It's just utterly foolish. But what about the Father, Pastor Fisk? Have you never read Jesus talking about the Father, Son, and Spirit in John 14 through 18, where he talks about how I and the Father are one. You don't really get to see the Father apart from me and all this kind of stuff, right? Like, there's plenty of reason why that doesn't deny the Father, if that's what you thought I was doing. It's not a monophysic reality. Do you even know what that is? You should know if you're going to start, like, talking about Trinitarian things. But the idea here is not Trinitarian. What I want to deal with is just the incarnation of God as Jesus, right? And recognizing that the incarnation of God as Jesus means that the Lord in the Old Testament is the Son of God, who we call Jesus now. And so to, to use the name of Jesus, to which all names should submit, as the name by which you read the Old Testament, I'd call it a good, good move. Good move. Try it. I've been doing it for a while now. Good move, Fisk. That worked out well. That helped the faith. Yeah. So try that one at home. And then Proverbs 21, 31b, deliverances of Yahweh, deliverances of the Lord. Baal? Which Lord are you talking about? Deliverances of Jesus Christ. Now this concept, salvation by grace through faith, the dogma of predestination, however you want to describe it in the ways we've argued about it for history, is so good. Why argue? Stop arguing. Deliverance is from Jesus. He does it. He did it. He is it. How much of Christianity could get over ourselves if we just believe that as a group and try to practice as if it were true? I don't want to demean anyone personally. But I have been in the world in which I said we should pray. And another said, that's not enough. And I say, where are we? How dry are these bones? Yeah? Deliverance is of Jesus Christ. Now, now, don't miss 2131a. The horse is prepared for the day of battle. So this, does deliverance of Jesus Christ mean, like, like don't feed your horse? Just sit on your duff. I'll be fine. No. You prepare your horse for the day of battle, or you're going to die in battle, right? Like the, the weak horse gets you killed. Can Yahweh be with you? Absolutely. But see, he says like tend to your flocks, right? So, so preparing the horse for the day of battle, um, this is what we are to do. So what I love about this little law gospel nugget, Proverbs 21, 31, uh, A and B, is that you have the reality in which like you're not free to be an antinomian. You're not free to say, I don't have to do anything, but neither are you free to think that you doing something matters <laughs> as if you're the, the cause of the consequences. Uh, when it comes to the good things of this age, the only cause of the consequences you are, are the bad things of this age. This also is the doctrine of eternal election, which is right there in this nugget that makes it very clear that you're supposed to do all you can do no matter what. And then no, it's not enough. And that's okay because deliverance 
is of Jesus Christ. And he made this world for you to do and be who you are, not for you to not do and be those things. Uh, you know, to sit and watch someone else do and be those things. Uh, to stare upon the screen of godness and learn how I might have lived if only I had not sat and stared so long, right? Like, uh, that, that's a different world religion in my, in my opinion at this point. So, but this is just the thing. Deliverances of Jesus Christ, my friends. We have to, like, believe this as Christians. I mean, Lutherans believe this, we say. We say... And we act a completely different way. And I think the Baptists and Presbyterians, you know, that's so different from us in this regard. The big difference is you don't believe what the scriptures say, what the Bible says about baptism and Lord's Supper. We've had those arguments. There's plenty of videos. You can go find them and you can disagree. That's fine. But I'm not going to change my mind. <laughs> the the scripture is not going to change. So in any case, but we do agree that like we're not saved by the Pope, right? We're not saved by submission to the man who is claimed to be the head of the church and to all to whom all must submit or they are not saved and therefore has declared himself the public man of lawlessness as Second Thessalonians talks about. Like we all agree that's not how you get saved. You don't pay that guy money. Why would you give that guy money for? Look what he's doing with the kids across the, the sex trade. Are you kidding me? You're not watching. Nobody's watching. No one's watching. They're watching TV, not life. <laughs> not the same. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> uh, we can agree the deliverances of Jesus Christ. And because we can agree on that, I think then we can have a conversation about what happens next. Whereas if we don't agree the deliverances of Jesus Christ, if we don't agree that salvation is by grace, and that actually means God chooses you, it's really tough for us to talk about what to do next for our neighbors when we try to make the world better for them. Yeah, I need a drink of water. <laughs> If you don't have a baseline, then you cannot have a conversation. My book, Talk Them Into It, talks about this and how becoming the disciple in a relationship with somebody else, becoming the learner, helps you build that baseline so you can find where you agree and then have common union, <laughs> or, uh, fellow state, fellowship in conversation on the basis of that agreement. And so, like Christians, hey, like, like Proverbs 21, 31 is pretty good. Like, for a place to begin. I mean, he is risen. This is good, right? He is not here. He is risen, as he said. All this. That's all really good. But, like, I'm just saying, like, as you as you deal with your own piety, and you're trying to, like, talk to every Christian you meet from every tradition, you know what's a really good verse for, like, starting the agreement? Oh, yeah. It's Proverbs 21, 31. Yeah? We can agree with this. This is great. Now, Proverbs, it's like it was written for us to read it and then talk about it, you know? I mean, <laughs> they didn't make a movie. I don't know why. I don't know why. Oh my goodness. Okay, so there's another verse quite like it. Proverbs 21, 30. Are you ready for it? C, <laughs> uh, which says this, there is no counsel against Jesus Christ. I like this one too. There is no counsel against Jesus Christ. The worst thing I have seen in my lifetime is Christian churches fighting God. He's tearing down their idols. And they're like, no, in the name of Jesus, we won't let it be. And every time they do that, they call Baal Jesus, see? And, and every time that happens, God's like, yeah, going to keep tearing it down then. <laughs> um, and, and just if we could perhaps, oh, it's an if we can just statement fist, because you read my book broken on that one. When we repent, it happens this way. We stop trying to do what we think, and we see what the Bible says, and we do that instead. So let me just go on a little, like, left turn diatribe here for a moment about a little ditty called Sunday School that is not in the Bible. Did you know this? Sunday School is not in the Bible and didn't exist until sometime in the 1800s. 
when some people realized there were a lot of orphans on the streets of London, and they thought, we should not let these orphans grow up without food and without reading. And so they brought them in on Sunday mornings, these poor, disgusting children who were uncared for, unkempt, and uncouth. And they groomed them a little bit and taught them to read by using the Bible to teach them to read. And now Americans think if we don't have it for all our kids to not be with their parents and with someone else who never studies the Bible except Saturday night by themselves when they're trying to figure out what to add to the candy and the craft, we think that's going to work. And then we don't understand why none of our kids take our religion seriously. You know what your child needs? They need to see the father take the religion seriously. If you can't get that, it happens. They need to see the mother take the religion seriously. How do you take Christianity seriously? Is it by going to church every week? That's where you start people. That's not it. That's where you start. That's the baseline for we think you're a Christian is you come to church every week. We, we, oh yeah, here's this guy. He believes this stuff too. But for your kid to believe you believe it, you got to do more than just show up at the altar and throw some incense. You actually have to talk about it as if you believe it. You will talk about it because you do believe it. You will find that believing Christ leads you to believe the scriptures and that they have, as I've demonstrated again and again, tremendous application to your life. Tremendous application to your life and your relationships. And this being like the beginning part of Proverbs, you know, son, listen to me. You know what that means? It means fathers, talk to your kids. You know, stop putting them in front of something to do something. Stop putting somebody else to do something. You talk to your kids. But I don't understand. This is why the small catechism was invented, by the way, is because you don't understand the Bible. Because it's really, really big. Yeah, and it's great. And you can dive into it and get lost. You can find stuff that makes sense. You can find stuff that doesn't make sense. You know what's really great about the small catechism? Catechism. It takes the Ten Commandments, a summary of Jesus' life and the Trinity, and the Lord's Prayer, and it just says, like, this is like most of it. This is most of it. Like, there's history and lore. Lore, let me tell you the lore. There's history and lore, but like when it comes to like what to do today, son, let's see, Jimmy, what chaos has come upon us? I see. This is the great evil that is lying. Let us talk about how thou shalt not lie. What does this mean? It means we not speak harm of our neighbor, but instead try to protect his name, right? And if you do that with the Ten Commandments and the Creed and the Lord's Prayer, just a little bit at home, I'm going to tell you, it's going to do more than Sunday school. <laughs> Like, and by more, I don't mean like, like it's a close game and like, you know, each makes three baskets and it's like that six to four junior high girls basketball game, right? No, I mean like, you're right. There's, there's the junior high team that doesn't score because they never get past half court against the team that's just talking to their sons. So uh, this is what I'm talking about when I'm like, we believe the Bible. No, we don't. No, we don't. We believe ourselves. We believe our history and our tradition. Do we believe in Jesus? Yes. But have we like put in his altar all manner of false teaching and cult? Yes. And if, unless you like checked out in the eighties, <laughs> you know, or you're Amish, I'm not sure you can be like, well, not me, not me. I've been fine. This whole t- I saw it the whole time. No, 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 no. And so now that we're like, if you can see, and not everybody even sees how bad it is, right? I mean, you're watching this because you do, but not everybody does. They're like completely like, oh, it's just going to be normal now. You know, if you can see how bad it is, then you can see, I hope, that trying to recover the failed programs of the era that brought us to this complete lack of biblical understanding is idolatry. Straight up. 
Now you don't know it's idolatry, right? You don't realize you're asking Baal for help. But but ultimately, if you're like, what about this thing? And it's not in the Bible right now, right now. You're like, but our church needs this. And it's not what the Bible says. You're for Baal. Like you don't realize it. You've been swayed. You've been tricked. You've been deceived. So that's my point here. Wake up. If the scriptures are not giving you the ideas for the next like two years, don't do anything new. Don't respond to what they sell you. Don't shift your trajectory and change your life. I mean, listen to a brief history power two white guys. You might, but like you're going to do that over two years and very carefully recognizing that the substance of what endures is worth building on. But it's not worth trying to prop up the falling down pixie stick castle we built. <laughs> yeah, with the casino money uh, from the American uh, Fair Trade Association or whatever they call the Federal Reserve these days. So, hey, 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 I got I got a guest coming up here at 9, 930. Uh, this is someone who uh, you, I hope, will be excited. You were, many of you are very glad to have on this particular uh, fellow uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, he's a magnet of sorts and a magnet and, and other things. Um, so that's coming up just here in a few more minutes. Um, uh, and then from there, we got lots of questions from you this week. So in fact, I'm probably going to dive over to that right now and take the first one just to get, just to get her done. You know how that is? Okay. So let's see here, but I don't know which one's going to be nice and short. This looks short. Here we go. From the Joshua project. Uh, does the Lutheran church have a liturgy of the hours? Um, is there such a thing as a Lutheran church? I'm sorry to be the real pickle in this. And certainly if you go to like CFW Walther's Long Gospel or the proper form of a Christian congregation, he asserts that there is such a thing as a Lutheran church. But what he means is the Christian church every time he says it. So I, I increasingly am just, and you know, I feel this way about a number of terminologies that have been foisted upon us from outside the Bible that I just don't feel do us justice, right? Uh, do us justification even. Um, so, you know, the Lutheran church, there's no Lutheran church. There's the Church of Jesus Christ, and then within it, there are those who have been declared Lutherans because we won't submit to the Pope, and we still like the Lord's Supper, right? And and we still believe in election, but we don't believe in superlapsarianism, and, and we, we believe, uh, let's say, what can we agree with the Baptists on? We believe that your faith is supposed to be evidenced by a new, obedient, regenerate life, and yet we don't think that's a matter of your will committing itself to God, nor you ignoring the, the sacraments by using symbols instead, and then dedicating your babies with made-up services that have nothing to do with the Bible. Like, <laughs> So, so like, like the point is like the Christian church has a liturgy and Lutherans are in the Christian church and uh, whatever you want to call a Lutheran, if you can even define it today, someone's gonna be like, well, it's what the small catechism says. Yeah, but not everybody agrees with you about that. So it gets increasingly difficult to say we have it on our side. We have the small catechism on our side. We don't have the word Lutheran on our side, right? When they take the words away, you have a choice. You let the word go or you save the word. I'm trying to save Bible words right now. That's my life. All I care about is saving some Bible words from what they've taken from us. Good old Bible words like sin, right? You don't even hear Christian pastors say it anymore unless it's sort of an esoteric sooner thing, right? But, but hmm. anyway, so coming back to it, d does, does Christianity, which Lutherans definitely are part of, have a liturgy of the hours? Well, what do you mean by liturgy of the hours then, right? Um, there is like the official one the monastics do. Uh, seven times a day, I have prayed to you. This comes out of Psalm 119. And so there's a whole uh, pattern that's been built over generations and centuries of ways to pray the Psalter in a day and a week and, and whatnot. Um, and so that liturgy of the hours very much has been used by Lutherans uh, at places and times. And so in that regard, absolutely. Like whatever you think of is the liturgy of the hours in like your Eastern or Western tradition. Like we're all like, sure, you know, until you pray to the saints. And then we're like, hmm, <laughs> 
that seems a bit more different than Bible. And, you know, our, our small uh, beatnik brains can barely, barely handle, you know, the, the illustrious mysticism of why the, the saints somehow are able to intercede for you better than the one intercessor. I, I, I don't know. But, but, you know, aside from that thing, the, the Liturgy of the Hours as it exists is very much a Lutheran thing in the regard that we receive the Catholic tradition whenever it is in line with Scripture. And we got no problem with it. And you can use it or not use it because it really doesn't have to be the same in every time and place, provided that the Scriptures and the sacraments are being handled according to their institution. That's where we don't commune with a lot of y'all. <laughs> so, I mean, but that's really about that. And if you could understand, we just have a different beef with that than everything else. I think we could have some good conversations anyway. Liturgy of the Hour. So, the Sons of Solomon is my, and a few others at this point, attempt to have a, not the Liturgy of the Hours, but a uh, barbaric modern man's Liturgy of the Hours. Like, it's just, we don't live in the Middle Ages. It's just not the same time frame, right? There's a lot more going on right now. So how do you get that Liturgy of the Hours into your life? That's the question. And after struggling for years on this and really trying to build resources and the, the just nothing worked, and I know recently someone mentioned the Treasury of Daily Prayer. It's a nice resource if you like carrying around a legal home, you know, and, and for your daily prayers. So, so the Sons of Solomon is like this, this idea that uh, a liturgy of the hours is really there to get you to stop and have the Bible in your life more than once a day. That, that's really the idea. Seven times a day, I praise you. doesn't mean I say the whole Psalter in a day. It, <laughs> it means that I understand that throughout the day on a holy level, the scriptures are always good in my life. So I want to write it on my wall. Like Deuteronomy says you have to, but I, I want to, right? I want to write it on my wall so that it says something to me and I see it. And that is more than a liturgy of the hours perfectly done will ever do to get God to hear you because it's not about getting God to hear you. It's about knowing you hear God and having God speak to you again, right? And the liturgy of the hours is very much that, very much that. So Sons of Solomon says, okay, there's an easier way to do this than all the hoopla since we've got to start with a low baseline and there's lots of room to build. But if we're going to talk Christian unity and Christian faith in the dystopic world, this is a good one. So what it is is nine psalms prayed over four different sections through our times throughout the day. So you have a liturgy of the morning, a noon, a afternoon, and a before bedtime, right? Uh, this is the idea the liturgy of the hours gets at. You're trying to spread the word throughout your day. You're trying to have the word be part of your entire life. So it really doesn't matter how you do it. The nice things about Sons of Solomon that does matter is that right now you have men across this country and planet committing to this discipline for a year and then the pitch is the rest of their lives and everyone who's gotten into these psalms that I have chosen and it was not accidental and it was a lot of thought that went into it I'll explain it some other time I already have other places um whole sermon series on it the reason these psalms are chosen is because in the era of the diaspora which we very much are feeling right now these are the songs of zion these are the songs of waiting these are the songs of being cast to the wind and or enslaved and wanting to come back out of it knowing that the coming Lord is coming, right? And so what they can do, again, is build for you a confidence in your present state, how you stand with God, since these are your right to pray by virtue of your baptism into Christ. You are the person praying them. Whether you feel like it or not, you say it out loud and it's true in God's sight. And that turns you into that person like, like at that moment, right? And then it's the, the emotions don't always change, but there is a declarative justification subjectively happening to you as you have objectively already received it and are believing on it. And the Liturgy of the Hours, particularly the Sons of Solomon style, is a great way to take that power we have already and put it together in a pile with the belief that, I mean, here's the thing. You get men praying these psalms every day for 15, 30, 150 years. You've got a nation is what you've got. A dynasty of ideas that are God's ideas. 
That's the gambit there. So the, the liturgy of the hours, you know, it's a good idea. You need to be in the scriptures throughout the day. The hours are morning, noon, afternoon, night. You can get up in the middle of the watch if you want. You know, it's kind of fun. I got, I got sleep issues. I need some water here too. Be right back. I got sleep issues. And so, um, that's not where I want to go. Um, apnea, got the machine, uh, done a million things to try to make it work. Oh man, weighted blanket. Just found that. What a thing. Um, but, uh, uh, I get up to go to the bathroom once, twice, sometimes three times a night. It's rough as apnea. And, um, it's, it's hard because you're, you're like, there. you're like, why am I awake? I got to turn over. Why am I awake? I mean, my whole life has been like this, but reading through Psalm 119, as I've advocated in, in various ways, uh, before, um, there's so many verses about being awake in the middle of the night. And, and then this is where the, uh, the, the prayers, seven times a day I praise you, when they, we were taking Psalm 119 and trying to turn it into a liturgy of the hours, uh, they, they saw those midnight times as being necessary, right? And this is where the, the legal code needs to not be over us. Um, rather, uh, what I've done is I've taken all those verses, I've written them on a card, and they're by my bedside. So when I go to bed and when I get up, I see it. And I'm almost to the point where on the way back from my restroom, um, I'm like, one time, there you go. <laughs> Bam to the bed. Uh, and it's not about legalism again. This is just it. It's not to do it to get. It's that it's what's being given. Ugh. Take it. <laughs> Seize it. Speak it. Uh, these words are alive and they are the Holy Spirit engendering within you. And you, you need to believe this. Believe this, right? I can't make you. Anyway, theories do not glorify Jesus. Theories do not glorify Jesus. The name is glorified by what he does and what he says. So repeating that into reality, producing the word rather than just being a hearer. This is bigger than just like do, do, do. This is about I am what Jesus says I am. And that includes carnal and regenerate. And it's high time we just go ahead and believe both those things. Stop letting the little, I'm so offended, be a nice person. Ah, bah, bah, bah. I mean, that culture cannot coexist because that culture is built of carnal sin. It's built of unrepentance. And you see it. Look what it's doing out there. Look what it's doing out there. I mean, the, the, the results should speak for themselves if you can't see how it all ties together. So, all right. Again, uh, we, I'm going to go ahead and uh, take a three-minute break and come back with our turnip magnet. I'm not even sure. What we're talking about. He's on to huge stuff. This guy is like so much bigger than I am, which is why I'm very grateful to have him on. We'll be right back in just a few. Which one do I want to give you here? This one's got the nice easy start. All right. We we have our our, our friend, but oh, man, I forgot that the turnip magnet is a special kind of guy. And his privacy is highly important. And so as a result, uh, we want to have in the future a, a nice picture of, of his little turnip face that I can see on my screen from my Skype app, but I cannot seem to take a picture of in order to uh, share it with all of you. And this makes me sad. What if I try it like this? Will that do it? Oh no. Um, cancel that. Okay. What, what if I do this? We'll try this. This is bad TV, but we're going to try it anyway. Here we go. We did that. We're going to do this. If I do this, does that happen? Yes, we have. We have a very small picture, a very fuzzy picture of the turnip magnet. Turnip magnet. Welcome back to Saturday Morning Chill. I feel like it's Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Welcome back. Are you there? Oh, no. Yes, yes. Oh, there Hello. you go. Good, good, good. Uh, so, uh, you know what? As you say that, I'm going to double check my system audio. Skype seems to have a sound problem. Oh, interesting. Will you talk again, Turnip Magnet? 
Uh, hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, good. We got you through the system audio, so it's working. It, you're, it is, you're welcome for having you. I'm glad that you remembered that I had said to come on again and shot me a, a, a text to let me know that I'd forgotten about that or that, you know, is about that time. You were very well received last time. Uh, to remind everybody, I, I know not too much. Uh, the turnip magnet is a young man, not yet. Are you able to vote yet? No. no, no, he's not yet able to vote, um, but he's incredibly well read. He doesn't really spend a lot of time staring at screens uh, unless he's reading about deep history or arguing with people about it. Um, and as a result, he's made a name for himself in certain podcasting areas wherein the future of the universe and our nation is discussed by elite people from time to time, um, far beyond the scope of such you know, small minded men like myself. So having him here today, this wunderkinden, and he's like, no, I'm not, but I, dude, I'm building you up for the people. So enjoy the entertainment. Um, this wunderkinden is here to talk about what he read last, which will be interesting, I guarantee you. What did you read last, Sir Magnet? Hey. So, I, we are ordaining a new pastor after a two-year vacancy. I graduated, and the uh, vacancy pastor that I had gave me a very nice book called A Martyr's Faith in a Faithless World. Right, which, yeah, yeah. And I like I have really enjoyed this book as I have read through it. Is that the Wolfmuller one? That's Wolfmuller's latest book, yes, right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yes, a great it book. Is. Yeah, yeah. Talk so talk about, about it. A, so basically, what it, it has a very nice style where it will it will uh, give background about a specific martyr. Starts with Saint Stephen, um, <clears throat> go, goes on to a few other people. Polycarp is in there. Uh, Agatha. Go. It basically talks about what specific attributes they had and why that is important for you know people to look up to in the modern world because it's important for people to have heroes hmm. that actually existed that had good attributes especially in this world today yeah virtues right and modeling yes. modeling virtue yes. this has been something that i mean we've got martyr books and stuff for the kids my kids they're voracious readers. We did this on purpose. We like made them readers. That was like the main goal in, in homeschooling. But the problem is all they can find to read that they enjoy is such uh, Pulp Fiction is a nice way to say it, right? But it's just <laughs> it's it's flux with the the heroic ideas of our age, which inevitably, let me just say it publicly, is that the kids know better than the adults and need to fix the problem by ignoring the adults and doing what the adults say not to do. It's always the story, like every time. And it's like, hmm, what does Zeitgeist be doing right now, right? Um, so mm -hmm. of these people, the, the heroes of the martyrs, is there one of them whose virtue you saw as more necessary than others? Or like personally, like that's the one I, I want to think on right now. Well, I just got through the public school system and I had to take a biology class. And it was very, very dogmatic about evolution things along those lines things are just very anti-biblical and just it's it might sound a bit cliche but reading through saint stephen literally preaching out against people throwing stones directly at it made me feel like well you know maybe i maybe i should have and can in the future you know speak out against this because at least right now people aren't throwing stones at me correct yeah they've really managed to silence us with shame is what it is and as people who are unashamed, that's an amazing, devilish thing <laughs> that they've done. So, so that confidence, um, Stephen's been on my mind a lot recently, uh, this last year, I guess. Uh, there's a place, I'm trying to remember which letter, I think it's Second Timothy, where I found, uh, Paul talks about how the crown of righteousness laid up for him. And uh, mm -hmm. in proximity to, to the day of St. Stephen that we've done with the martyr observations this year, 
at St. Paul, um, I was like, oh, look, it's the word Stephen. Uh, Henceforth is laid up for me the Stephen of righteousness. And I don't know if he meant it or not, but it, it, it struck me that, you know, Paul's got to be looking forward to meeting Stephen, right? Like as he's getting ready to die, like he, they laid the coats at his feet and Stephen saying, father, forgive them. And that's who Paul is, right? Um, what a thing. And what a, what a confidence. I mean, Stephen never saw that, right? Uh, he didn't right. get to see the result of that. So yeah, it's good. Talk a little bit about the dogmatism in high school. Tell me about that. Like, is it, oh. is it social? Is it just pedagogical? I mean, uh, I, I'll, okay. I'll give you something that I witnessed and then I'll go into kind of like details. Right on. So I got to the lunch period one day and I went down to the biology classroom to put my backpack and all the rest of my stuff up so I could go be free from that 50 pound weight I had on my back. Right, or so. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, as I was walking past, there was a group of people and the biology teacher in, in kind of like a semicircle, and he was in the middle. And I, they were like whispering things like, was she questioning evolution? Oh. It, things like that. I, that is a verbatim quote. I wish I was making that up. And they went on and it was like, he was like, no, no, it was just a question, but it was getting pretty iffy there for a while. And I was just listening in and I was like, wow. Yeah. 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 It's like a little cult. Yeah. Yes. Yes, it is. It is. That is exactly what it is. And I, there was, there used to be a Baptist in that class, but then he changed classes. So he Hmm. was no longer in there for that time of the year, uh, evolution. And before he left, I remember he was like kind of going out guns blazing. Oh, sure. He made like a very, he made a very poorly timed joke about evolution. I should, I might say something like that. And he just got the whole class just kind of like started foaming at the mouth, turned rabid and started attacking him. So the way that they, not physically. No, yeah, no, no, I wasn't expecting actual (laughs) zombies and werewolves, but yeah, yeah, I'm following you. Um, It's a nice story. So the way they teach this is we could have been through that entire period in biology in about, three days like we could have been over and done with and could have moved on in three days but we spent an extra of i don't know four days Hmm. talking about possible criticisms of evolution and why they're just wrong without actually telling you the full thing of what they would say and how it might be wrong Um, so was the phrase intelligent design used in order to tear it down no Come on, guys. That didn't even get said. At least tear it down, right? You know, golly. <laughs> I, I was I was waiting for that and waiting for it, and it never got said. Yeah, right. It, it kind of kind of gave the ideas out, except for that one, without saying what they were. How do you this? How do you think this impacts actual day to day social and school life, though? So, you, what is it? Seven days of science, one time in four years, um, or is it? I mean, because evolutionary theory as like dogma is just the tip of a much worse iceberg. So so what I'm really curious about is how the religion that we're up against is a religion at high school. Now I'm sure it was when I was there, but I was still watching MTV. So I was part of it. Right. Um, so any other connection points that, that really show the, um, the power structures, like how the teachers abuse the power. I mean, that's pretty important too, to see how at the mercy of the teachers, kids are, um, especially if they Um, use a class as a bully tool, like you're talking about there. That's amazing. Really? Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think of things like oh, something else that I found a bit interesting was 
going into that classroom, and this is out of all grades at the high school, so freshman through senior, the only people who will actively question evolution, let alone not believe in it on a doctrinal standpoint, are people that are part of some, uh, I don't have a better word, non-modernist or fundamentalist denomination. So us, some Baptists, there was one Roman Catholic that was skeptical. Yeah, so, they, don't, they don't really talk about it much. Yeah, uh, the, well, it's a sore spot for them. <laughs> and, well, I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things, too, where it is, it's a red herring if you're going to argue about it. I mean, it yeah. really isn't the way to win anybody over to our point of view on anything. Yeah. Um, other than just stay like, like, look, we disagree. I'm pretty sure design is here. Like, it's not on accident, guys. Like, duh. <laughs> and if you think it is, I'm, I think you're nuts. But, like, I can still buy, you know, chocolate from you or whatever. Like, we can still have a, an economy. Um, but well, then, can you? I guess that's the question. Yeah, the issue, the issue with that is if you actually go against this in any way, people are going to rapidly stop associating with you. So I don't even know if you could buy chocolate from them if you... Uh, oh, interesting. If you are the raving loon in the science so, like, classroom. Like, like the teenagers care that much about evolution? Like, they're that, it's that important to them? Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a few of them that would immediately disassociate. Hmm. Um, I just find it interesting because so like because I'm seeing this all as religion right and I'm seeing the result of the religion Mm -hmm. being the mob madness on our streets but then Mm -hmm. like behind that they have a code they they have something they think they're doing and all I just have Mm -hmm. trouble believing it's like to defend Darwin like really is that really (laughs) what you're about I I, well you know so I I didn't mean to come on here for like hearsay and all that but like as i was the vaccine was a huge thing this year Hmm. and i was walking through the halls like one of my friends said that like she just her and her mother disassociated with like half of their family because they said that maybe getting the vaccine was a bad idea yeah right and just like that just like wow yeah yeah that's full cult tactics right there that's this where you can see it's a religion because otherwise it, it it and it's a cleanliness religion. I mean, it's all the unclean, unclean stuff that you're like, oh, look at the Pharisees. Look how rude they were. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 going on. So, okay, how does this interface with something historical that you're interested in recently? Or does it? Well, this is exactly what you see with the Jacobins and the French Revolution and their cult mm. of reason. It's just it's a lot less formal. So that's a, that's a big thing. So they were more formal then. Yes, because they officially came out and announced we're founding a new anti-Christianity in opposition to the church, and it's going to have these tenets. The one we have now is doing largely the same thing. It's just they are not formal. Most things today that are in opposition to any like traditional societal pillar that we had is going to be non-formal. Right, indirect assault. Yes, so we have our own cult of reason. I'm surprised they haven't changed the calendars yet. They might be waiting on that one because that usually collapses things. But when and if they do, just know it's been tried before. Uh We're in the middle of it right now. We've had our own French Revolution. It's been very slow and ongoing. And this is just the part that we're at right now where there's a mass acceptance of the cult of reason. Right. And they're just going to keep going onward until they have nothing left to level. 
Talk about that's that's really scary, honestly. The, talk about the Jacobs a little bit more, though. Um, I, I've heard that name thrown around. I've heard songs. Jacobins, my sons. Is that is that the same reference? And then, oh. um, that sounds like an Irish thing. Don't Am I missing something there? The Jacobites. There you uh, go. Those okay. Um, so so help us help us plebes <laughs> help us plebes okay. down here in in phonics All right. land. <laughs> All right. Um, I'll I'll clear up the distinction. A Jacobite is from a diff- completely different point in history. It was the supporters of the Stuart dynasty during the English Civil War and afterwards that wanted to bring them back. Um, so ignore them for now because that, that's a whole different conversation. Sounds awesome, uh, but yeah, we'll ignore that. Jacobins were a club in late Kingdom of France and the early French Republic uh, they were the people that took over. Uh, Robespierre's quite... I don't know if he was officially in the club, but he's kind of... If he wasn't in the club, he kind of led the charge. Yeah. Um, he... They were very Republican, but they didn't really trust people to make correct decisions. So they wanted, like, the culture of Republicanism, but they wanted a committee to make the decisions. So... Yeah, an oligarchy. Yeah, so they basically beheaded all the aristocracy that didn't leave so that no one could oppose them. Uh, Anyone that supported the previous kingdom couldn't reinstall anything because they destroyed everything that had been left. Um, I believe they blew up part of the Notre Dame Cathedral so that the church was kind of given the message. They didn't blow it up. They trashed a lot of it and had to be restored. Right, right. Um, They... um, It became a state property at that point too, didn't it? Yes, yes it did. They seized property from the church and desecrated cathedrals. They uh, massacred a bunch of priests. Uh, this happens every time you get some sort of liberal civil war revolution in Truth. Europe. The Republicans in Spain did that. The Bolsheviks did it in Russia. Uh, the French revolutionaries did it. Um, and not just the Roman Catholics. Also, a lot of the Calvinist parts of France had that happen to them as well. Yeah, right. Well, because your 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 pastors are like kings. And we don't say yeah. that because as Americans we can't handle it. But they're tribal <laughs> leaders. Um, you know, they don't carry a staff necessarily, but they're a voice that a group listens to, and it's usually a large enough group that they can make an impact yeah. somewhere, and that those ideas can spread. And so, if you're trying to stop the spread of ideas, you just cut off the head, right? And yeah. the easy thing to do is kill 15 priests. That's yeah. that's easy enough for the FBI to handle, I think, when they need to. Um, that'd be the thing is if that is even happening today. You know, how would you know? How do you know? Um, I don't think that the world is quite so wag the doggy that we're not getting any true filter. Um, I don't know how long until like, I don't know. I really don't turn it. Well, that's, mean, <laughs> that's part of being in, of uh, being informal is that you aren't going to take any direct man- measures to censor all of the information. It's just going to happen over time. Most people won't notice it. Yeah, right. So. If you look at news from, I don't know, 19, go back to like 1950 even and compare it to today, it's a lot less, er, here, it's a lot more different. You might get more out of it just in a general sense, even not about what you're reading about. Well, it's evident there was an educated public as yeah. generally, <laughs> and, and, and this tool has been used to de-educate the public directly. It took an educated public and it made them stupider. Do we know we're doing this is an open question, and the Neil Postman kind of uh, media ecology uh, gets into that a little. I think whoever's at the top knows exactly what they're doing. I mean, I don't think there's any question. These tools, once you figure out yeah. what these tools do, I'm doing it. I'm doing it to you. Not you, Turnip, but like, oh, I'm using it, right? <laughs> and and I'm trying to use it to tell you how bad it is, actually, because uh, it is. It really um, it gives the eyeball that I'm giving you right now as you look at me and listen to me talk. I have way more power over you than I would have in real life. Like I'm convincing you far more quickly. It's not fair. It's an unfair advantage. And it is what it is, right? 
Um, so uh, I don't quite know how I got on that from the Republican oligarchy of the French Revolution, but um, the, the, you're getting at indirect warfare, right? And recognizing, yes. and Coons talks about this on Brief History of Power, um, that it's just easier for them to outweigh you and train your kids to be what they want more of than yep. for them to come and kill you directly. Yes, exactly. And it's a lot, it's, it takes a lot less uh, bloodshed on their part, I suppose. You don't have to have a open civil war to Correct. win that power. You have to win the media war of silencing all the pictures that you don't want, right? Yeah. Um, and, and, all and that, that just takes, you exchange money a couple of places and then you get to say what to do. It, it just takes a few handshakes and, you know, some pre-capital, which they have tons of. So what does that do to a a 17 year old man's like heart and his, his you know, patriotism and confidence <laughs> about a, an open future. I mean, are you, are you hoarding gasoline and cigarettes or what? Like what's the, um, what's the long game here? <laughs> Not gasoline and cigarettes. Um, I've, I mean, my family does just kind of keep stuff in store in general in case something does happen. So, I mean, yeah, it's wise. probably not a bad idea. Right, right, right. Um, for yourself, then, have you thought about like what a hand to mouth looks like for you? What kind of world you're going to have to be living in? I mean, how can a 17 year old project that, is, that? Right. But like you're at a place where I was just told what was going to be right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then and it's a lie. So I'm really curious what your your long view is. It's clearly not going to be perfect. So I'm not asking you to prophesy. I'm asking you just to yeah. kind of like what is your point in the ground look like? Because it's going to be very different than mine. And I think yours has more real insight because of your proximity to uh real survival frankly um things are either going to get much worse um i don't know if you've been keeping up with the our neighbors to the north in canada there have been i think three priests held without bail in solitary confinement because they held a service yeah and yeah this is in french speaking quebec correct or is it all over i think it's in a few places i i think it i think there was one in ontario okay okay yeah. I, I don't think it was just the French this time. Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, if it gets to that point here, like if 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 there is literally no church here, I I can't I can't stay here. Right. Like you you can't. There's no con. You literally cannot congregate because the the local or the state or the national government is just eminently domain seized right. the land around the church and erected a barrier. Like you can't even get in. Yeah. So. That's right. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, so where would you go? Like, where I, that, would you leave the that's country? The other question. Could where, you leave where, the country? Where else? <laughs> um, I I don't know. Like, I know some friends that are moving from the south to like the like Montana, mm-hmm. the Dakotas, and places like that, just because there's less people and less, I guess, interference there from governmental and extra governmental powers. Hey, you're more likely to be left alone as long as you stay alone. Yeah, for now. How how long is that a thing? Yeah, I don't know. And- the zombies are hungry. The zombies don't care <laughs> about whether. I mean, we lost some some ducks this week to a um, to a fox, and uh, what a fox does, it looks horrid when you discover it, and it's the it's awful. But the fox is just doing what the fox does. It basically, it gets a bird in its mouth. It's dead or going to die and be eaten, and it's broken back, and then its eyeballs see a different bird, and it's just it just wants the other bird. It has nothing to do with like, I'm hungry. <laughs> it's just what's the other bird. And so it drops the one and gets the other and, you know, and they do a great deal of damage. And I think to some extent when it's a religion of, uh, cleanless purity 
And if they really believe that for a perfect utopian society to descend upon the earth, then the unbelievers must be purged. Yeah, it doesn't matter where you go. It really doesn't. Yeah. So it, it's either it's going to stop, it's going to collapse in on itself because it's it's not based in any truth or reality. Yeah. It has to eventually. It's just I don't like waiting on that because I don't know when that's going to be and what right. they're going to destroy in that meantime. Right. 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 So, and what the fallout will be. I mean, will it be yeah. gasoline and water, uh, you know, or will it just be that the lumber keeps getting expensive, right? Uh, it, it's hard so, to say. So, okay. So Montana, the mountains. So Koontz talks about this uh, historically that places to go are places nobody else wants, uh, places where it's harder to live. So, yeah. but, but that, that's something that 150 years ago, they taught you in high school. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, there's no high school. Before high school, you learned how to live, right? Um, and yeah, we, we don't have that. So, so what are you doing to try to like build that up in yourself? Um, I at this point, I I don't know because I I don't have a set goal as to what to do. I don't know what to prepare for. Um, this is this is the thing that I've been kind of struggling with. I mean, I've been doing general things. I've been learning, yeah, you know, various ways to, uh, I guess, kind of run a home outside of modern luxury i guess you could call it sure yeah yeah um also like you know how, how do you take care of a family during that because i don't want to be the hermit on the mountaintop i i, I would like to have a family a bunch so, of little, I, little little turnips running around <laughs> so i mean i don't know i don't really know what's going to happen and even if we do just take one specific uh, instances to what's going to happen and plan for that one then i don't even know what to do for that one like i like i had right. someone say why why not just move to siberia there's no way like if you go far enough north there's no way anyone's going to get there and i'm like well then you're gonna I mean, die <laughs> yeah you could but also like what congregation is in north siberia like we we've, we've solved the problem by just making the problem but now it's my decision instead of theirs yeah so where the churches need to be hubs of this kind of conversation and we can't be because we've bought the lie of the separation of church and state as if our mm -hmm. lives are not separate from the state when it comes to the state telling us to do things that it doesn't have a right to do and romans 13 has been over applied i mean anybody who says i have a sword listen to me apparently is in charge because <laughs> you're just supposed to spit to your authority when they say so, right? And it's, and it's it's not that easy. The world's so complex. There's so many layers of authority. And the destruction of the fourth commandment, I think, is very much what the zeitgeist, again, is. And so uh, you said something I like. I want to dwell on more. It's it's kind of a, a silly, probably uh, Saturday morning cartoon way of looking at this. But I don't think the Bible's without this, which is that um, the attempt to take over the whole world with one religion is never going to work. And so you mentioned, you know, it'll destroy itself from, from within. You just don't like waiting for it. Um, yeah, I think that's exactly right. That somewhere along the line, uh, we're going to be like unto Hezekiah in Jerusalem and uh, having to look out and just pray, right? Because it really looks that bad. But a lot of that's going to be what you're watching on a computer as opposed to what you're seeing locally. Yeah. And what you're seeing locally is going to be a different thing. It's going to really be bad in the sense of like, like we're living month to month. We're not saving. We've got to trade or sell this or that to make it work. Um, but that won't be as bad as where it is a lot of places. And if, if our congregations can be hubs of getting ready for that, 
not to stop the U.S. from being the U.S., right? But to mm-hmm. be able to handle the local network of interchange and exchange, create a market in the parking lot if you have to, so that people can survive when they can't get survival goods from far away. But any congregation that has made vaccine mass mandates, its religion won't do this. And to do this in one that hasn't, it's like pushing back, um, requires that the pastor get up and start talking about it because the head has to talk. And that's where, again, for Lutherans, we've not been trained for this. We've been trained to not do this. We've been trained to sit still until they kill us. We're like, we're in freeze. Maybe it'll go away. Um, the people moving out West that you're talking about, I mean, there's definitely a couple groups out there. They are not that type. I'd like to think that my invitation to move to Rockford, uh, is also uh, thinking differently. Um, but again, here at Rockford, like I, I invite, but then the congregations fill with all manner of thoughts, right? And, and we're, we're trying to work on how do we bring those together for a conversation that benefits this corner, as opposed to just, you know, sitting here scared about a story from often uh, far away when it comes to our food. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. not, it's not the same thing. So I talked a lot there. I want to uh, chime um, in. Okay, let me go back to the beginning about the separation of church and state. Um, yeah. It is a complete lie. And you, um, I'm going to say something that's going to have people up in pitchforks and torches trying to hunt me down. Um, with the, I mentioned the Jacobins earlier. Uh, most liberal parts, most liberal, liberal thinkers of that time frame, so the founders of the U.S. mostly included, there were about a third of them that weren't that way. They were liberal as well. The Jacobins were them, but farther down the line, kind of towards this more logical conclusion. They both believed, the Jacobins and some of the founders believed in separating the church and state. It's just, the Jacobins kind of skipped the 200-something years that it took us to get to where they were. The Jacobins separated the church from the state and made their own secular religion. Ours came about naturally after a few decades of not-so-subtle urging from the state to make its own secular religion. This is what happens whenever we separate the church from the state. If you leave it alone, your enemy, the seculars, Islam, Islamics, you know, from the Middle East, they're going to take that ground that you've just ceded yeah. and use it against you every yeah. single time. Yeah. It might be great in ideals. It's just it doesn't play out because you've ceded very needed ground in trying to defend yourself. I'm not sure the state exists and even when we talk about the three estates, this is a Lutheran thing, so I might get yelled at for this. And I would hope the Lutherans would understand I'm not saying this cavalierly and that I can talk about that language in the Orthodox way. That's fine. My point is that the state is, is a dream. It's an idea. It's, it's Plato's dream. That's all it is. And then you have a bunch of people in actual office buildings that are real things, but there is no unified state. The closest you get to this is the tribe, which still is a family. And so, you know, the idea of three estates, the family, the state, and the church, I'm struggling with this one um, because, yes, Caesar's there. And Jesus definitely says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But then we would attribute to that the idea of the Republican state seems like a big importation of ideas into Scripture for me. Um, And that's where I'm like... We got to stop believing the mythology of Babylon. That's you, you submitted yeah. to, to the emperor, but you don't believe the mythology. So that, yeah. yeah, yeah, 
Yeah, my issue with that is that you see that verse cited as like, all right, so you have to pay your taxes because look, Christ is saying to pay your taxes. He was being questioned by the Pharisees as to whether or not he paid the taxes, and he never answers a straight yes or no in that because a yes or no is a trap. <laughs> he says give to Caesar what is Caesar's, not pay your taxes because they were actively unhinging and persecuting, I, I guess what you would call the church at that time. I, I don't know what the correct terminology is for there. Right, right. And if he says no, he's a rebel leader, he's going to get offered up to the Romans, and he's going to get executed. But he manages to give the correct answer, which is not yes or no, and is give to Caesar what is Caesar's. The coin had Caesar's face on it. He made the coin for all intents and purposes. Give back to him what is his whenever he asks for it. Well, if you're going to use it, you're playing the game. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so it's it's le- it's more about the seventh commandment at that point than the fourth commandment. It was about property a little bit. But I, I Paul says, you know, obey the emperor. Peter says, honor the king. Okay. So we we recognize that there are there are families of power that end up in charge over other families, and yep. that uh, so there's something there that the three estates is trying to recognize. Again, my point is that the word state. Is, is just not a biblical concept. People, that works, right? And so a lot of where my, my mind right now on all these issues is, including like, do I buy more sardines today at Costco to stockpile, right? Uh, is that before anything else, we've got to recapture some biblical language for talking about this stuff, stop borrowing from the Greeks. Because we're, we're using their categories and it's killing us. It really is. Um, and the state is not what we're supposed to be dealing with. What we're dealing with is uh, the people of God and then outsiders, and those outsiders take all sorts of forms. And sometimes one of them is your king, which means you do pay him taxes, but that's not always the same. And it's not as easy as just obey whatever the TV says the government says, right? Which is where we're at. Like, dude, how are we got this far? Well, we got this far by taking a bad idea too far. It didn't just kind of like happen. Um, uh-huh. nah. Can you talk more about how yes and no is not a good answer, even though there are times uh, he is risen. He is not dead, right? So that's, that's a yes or no, black or white. But black or white thinking is a particular phenomena of TV um, TV training, I think. Uh, yes. Yeah? So um, they're usually, if you throw a dichotomy out to a group of people, the majority of them will pick yes or no, regardless of if there is more answers out there. So if you turn on the television and you have conservative news one and liberal news one, the majority of people on their television are going to side with one or the other, regardless of if there is something better out there that they could, that would be what they believe. Um, this is this is something that most modern power structures will use against their population. They will make it a dichotomal um, sort of argument when it really is not. So in the United States, you have Republican or Democrat. People will choose one or the other. Most people haven't even heard of the other options, and even if they have, it's a political party. It's not going to change much in this earthly world. Um, but that's just an example. Um, Christ, when he is being questioned by the Pharisees, is given a dichotomal yes or no answer, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And both are losing answers. Ah, sounds familiar. So, hmm. what does what does he say? Well, he gives the correct answer and kind of steps over the dichotomy and just completely ignores it, gives the truth, and they're confounded. You so, might notice something uh, something similar in today's world. So explain that. Connect the dots. Oh, <laughs> okay, so in today's world, every power structure is going to give you, do you support this or this? Not much else in, in that manner of speaking. Do you vote yes or no on this issue? Do you 
do you want this type of government or this type of government? Are you fiscally conservative or liberal? Things like that. Do not be framed in their sort of preconceptions and premises. Ignore them. Be what you are. If you're if you are a Lutheran, you are a Lutheran. If they ask you, argue this or that. You're not necessarily either of those things unless it is what you believe. So it, don't fall into kind of their characterizations because it's a it's a means of control for their ends, which are fundamentally evil. Right. Which is why I think we got to recapture our own terminology so desperately. And that means yes. dogma in a lot of places, but at the same time, it means translating the dogma. So for Lutherans, we need to recapture our dogma, but we, it doesn't mean just teaching it exactly as it was taught in the 1800s. It means we've got to teach it today as we, mm-hmm. as our language works today. And Pentecost, I'm pretty sure is the promise that this is the way it always is. And I don't know how we forget these things, but that's also the way it always is. So welcome to history, right? And, and it circles. Um, can I ask a very personal question? I mean, uh, and it's yeah, kind of a weird on. thing to ask a turnip. Turnip, are you are you are you white? Yes. What does that mean to you? <laughs> um, I am of European descent. Uh, right. That's that's just kind of the conception I have in my mind. Right. Right. Okay. Like cool. you hear you hear other people say like, oh, do you have this? Uh, do you have this genetic strand in this quantity or something like that? Those are usually ethnic nationalists or uh other unsavory sorts uh, uh sicilians aren't white spain spanish aren't white you know things like that it's so they say yeah yeah yeah, yeah. okay it's just it, to me it's a fascinating conundrum that continues to be one that's out there and <laughs> when you talk about yes or no being the right answer black or white thinking is the exact same thing and the categorization yep. of humans as Either black or white has so many evils tied to it. In fact, I'm pretty confident that the distinction was made to perpetuate an evil at a certain point. So, like, I'm bothered by the terminology. Can I, total left, but also personal question: Why turnips? <laughs> um, it's a family connection. Do you farm? Uh, well, okay. Do you cannibalize Almost. turnips? <laughs> Uh, once upon a time, my I think my my great grandmother before she passed away, she used to have stories about how her father would take her out to the farm and just pick turnips out of the ground and like eat them raw for lunch while he was out there. Wow. Um, but since then, most of my family's kind of moved away from that. But I still garden turnips, which is I don't know if you look at it in the grand scheme, it might be kind of a mockery towards the labor that they put into it when they were still farming for a living. Yeah, potentially. I don't, I don't know. And what, that's so much of the knowledge that's lost is like, what do you really need and how much and uh, how do you sustain it? So having turnips to put in the pot with your sheep, you know, that might be something that's worth your time. It might be a complete waste of your time. Right. And mm-hmm. so that's the kind of knowledge, like even, even uh, Kuhn's recommends this like encyclopedia of farming, I mean, how do you find that knowledge in there, right? Um, so we're all in a lot of like trial and error and failure, which is where, again, I'm going to tell you, go back to your Psalter, <laughs> start praying to Jesus for the answers to fall out of the sky. And they're not going to fall out of the sky, but you're going to find your hands have what you need before you. And, and uh, my friend, I'm pretty confident that there's a place for you in any congregation your family wants to move to and support biblical historical thinking so the trick is you don't want to leave your land and i don't blame you um and that that's just that's the times right the diaspora is where we are um yeah yeah 
Anything else you want to say this morning? I got a lot of questions I'm going to get to here on the other side of, of a break, but I want to give you one more chance to tell the world what's important. And- <laughs> um, I, I guess I might just harp on something. I forget if I did this last time because I've had like a graduation in between and a whole bunch of other stuff. Uh, um, if I am a convert from baptism to Lutheranism, Baptist, Baptistism? Yeah, 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 ba- yeah ba- sorry. Via baptism, southern, you recognize. Southern flavor, yeah. <laughs> um, I left that for Lutheranism, and I've noticed things, and I don't mean to, like, say this to, like, drive petty disputes. It's just, like, I see a lot of things that the Baptists were doing, like, praise bands and stuff like that, that seem very evangelical and not very evangelical Lutheran, I guess you might call it, like, actual, it comes from them and not us, and it Mm -hmm. seems very kind of worldly, and it kind of throws out this lovely hymnal that we have over here that has hundreds of songs in there that I haven't even heard yet. Um, I don't like that, and it's not because I don't like the people doing that, it's just more I left the Baptists to come over here because I like the stuff over here. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked the things that come along with uh, Lutheranism, Evangelical Catholicism, whatever flavor you're preferring today. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't, if you can, don't let us become like a sort of hybrid between Roman Catholics and Baptists. We are our own thing. We have our own identity, if you will. We have a very, very distinct theology and a very distinct way of doing things for a reason that has been handed down to us. Don't just lose that in trying to appeal to the world. I beg of you. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's good. I've been I've been on that ship, man, and uh, watching the church body because we're not really a church body. We're a bunch of individual congregations that share a roster of pastors who are not alike to each other, but who do share a retirement package. Um, So since we're not a church body, but a bunch of congregations doing their own things and pastors doing whatever they think is best as they see fit where they are, with some history and tradition that they can or cannot adopt or choose, we're all over the map on this thing. But the vast majority uh, have gotten rid of uh, the liturgy, particularly as a way to talk about it um, in favor of this. And it's been going a long time. So I, I wish we could stop it. All I can tell you is if you're in those churches... Um, you're in an interesting place. You're in an interesting place. Now you have a lot of like multiple personality amnesia confusion going on while you're also trying to recover who you are. Uh, this is not that all the congregations that kept the organ are doing much better. Most of them had the organ just to worship it. A lot of them, they really do. Like all 15 <laughs> people come there and they worship listening to, to poorly played organ and a, a preacher who isn't really their pastor and they pay them a hundred bucks to come in and do it. And like, that's, that's also the same problem, I think. And so that's where it's, it's not just a sickness of you know, the guitar uh, or, or of we would like to, to have music we can sing to. Like, I fully get that complaint. That's <laughs> a fair complaint. Uh, but it's, it's this idea that if we change who we are, we'll make our lives better. And abandoning in that then heritage that is about Christ at the end of the day. So it's not that Lutherans can't get better at playing our music. It's that, as you said, we're not going to get better at playing our music by playing other people's theology. Like that ain't going to work. Uh, And so I'm with you. 
And I'm also frustrated though, that we could have been in fellowship and working on this problem for a long time, but the system is there to protect an old boy, an old boys club that is a retirement club. And it's not just the pastors. It's the whole system. It's a healthcare package. And this is tight. Everyone who's got a job knows what this is like, but it's taken over. It's taken over and, and no individual can stop that. And so what it is, is again, get to the parish where you can go and be in the pastor's ear about why you're there. Thank him for what he's doing. That's good. Uh-huh. And then pray that he is not taken from you. Cause there's more than one way the Lord can do that. And, uh, praying for your shepherd on that regard and seeing that, um, it's not about what you don't have going on yet. Uh, it's, it's about, um, that man understanding and speaking the scriptures and then whatever else goes on around that ought to be pretty good. And we have these great resources and traditions like the hymnal to, to make sure of that, right. To build on rather than to just start over make a lot more mistakes when you just start over. So I totally agree. I wish I could give you some sort of good news on this. Um, it's just, it's just not been what's happening. We have conveniently positioned ourselves out of the market. Like the market is veer. We knew this 15 years ago too. People were saying that the market's going to veer back toward a uh, classic market's going to veer back away from these trends that are brand new. Uh, and eventually people are going to be looking for things that have been there longer than themselves. And, and we're like, well, we'll change just in time. And it, but it's worse than that. Turn up. It's worse than that. I've heard in the last three months, two stories about congregations that have about a hundred people in worship that are Missouri Synod congregations that worship with an organ that right now are going to start trying to have a praise band right now. They're going to change. I don't have words for this. Like um... you're so far behind. You're just (laughs) killing yourself. You're just killing yourself. Why? Right. So I, I hear your plea. And I'm trying to reemphasize it over and over because it's so uh-huh. true. I'll give you a chance to chime back in here because I, I went away on it. Um, I'm, uh, and it's not like I'm saying this without doing anything. I've, I, I mean, it's, I would say I've tried to do my own thing, but that sounds like I have done a work that is trying to stop something. So, like, I, I play instruments. I know people that play instruments. We come and just play the hymns with the organ during service in hopes that that keeps people... Voting away like our lovely service book here and trying to take up some non-denominational spew. Yeah, pardon yeah, yeah. my language. Yeah. So, so you're working to adopt your musical talents to what the church is already doing, as opposed to trying to make the church adopt to what you'd rather have. And when your pastor tries to do that, that's where it really can destroy places. And then again, that's what's been done across the board. And that's a movement that I would say has been, you mentioned worldly earlier. It is. It's my church ain't big enough and doesn't feel good enough. So maybe we get happy clappy going. It's an old phrase. It's not a really nice phrase. Maybe we get everybody feeling better because the music's so good afterwards. And then they'll come back to church. And the problem is, even if that works, you're building on not Jesus. You're yeah. building on not Jesus. So turn a magnet, magnate. Magnate. I think that means he like has power over them and distributes them in some way. Um, thanks for being here today to talk about uh, life as a 17-year-old genius um, and what it means to be in a dystopic nightmare where it doesn't matter because you're going to starve anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, hey, well, you add a lot to the conversation. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. All right. So we're going to take a little break here and then uh, be right back with, I got all sorts of questions from y'all and we have 45 minutes officially, but I will get through all those questions this morning. Regardless, I am going to take a full three minutes and this one always starts loud, but it gets good by the end. Alrighty. Alrighty. Oh, I should get rid of his picture. He's not here anymore. Uh, Saturday morning, chill dealing with the Bible, your questions and my nonsense as we try to face a dystopic universe. I am, I'm, I'm trying, trying, trying to come back from what a great conversation with Turnip. That guy, 
Um, I, I go back and forth between being like, man, to be in his shoes and to see as clearly as he does. And man, I really wouldn't want to be in his shoes to see as clearly as he does. Except I would, I would. I'd rather see clearly than not see clearly, and that's that's why we're here. That's why we're here. Okay, your questions, Bible's answers, my nonsense. We're going to try to get into these, otherwise we'll never get through them. Eli, he says this. He says, hello, I was wondering what your thoughts are on seemingly growing trend of replacing the distinction B.C. and A.D. on years, especially in the education system. Do you think we should continue to use the B.C. A.D. distinctions even when the others, I should have asked him about the calendar he's mentioned, uh, uh, even when the others attempt to remove them or should we use the B.C.E. and C.E. as replacements? Uh, I... You're not going to like my answer. I would think we should continue to use the former as to not remove Christ and his importance, but I was curious what your response would be. Thank you. Um, I think the calendar might be the mark of the beast. I think like the Roman calendar might, might in fact be the devil at work. I, I don't know. It's there, We give so much attention to this thing and it's, it's flawed and broken and like, it's like duct taped together and all these things. We're like, Oh, we understand the universe. <laughs> okay. I have been on record as saying, I think it's the year 2025. I base that on the best guess of Dr. Adam Kuntz. He says it's between 2023 and 2026. 25 to 25 sounds about right. Since the actual birth of Jesus. And although I don't sign everything that way, I'm signing quite a few things that way. Uh, because the point is, like, we don't know. And this ain't the point. And like, look, look, it, it shows all sorts of stuff. They're trying to make you worry about and change your language for them to their religions. So that's why you shouldn't do it. But then they're doing it by not actually changing anything because the common era begins with the birth of Jesus Christ so, or our miscalculation of it, right? And so you don't change anything. The common era just means that Jesus begins the common era and the era before Jesus was not the common era. So like, you don't, not, you're not wrong to use these, although I would have a bad taste in my mouth as I use them. And that's why I, mean, I have a bad taste as I write any of it now. I'm like 2025 and I put a little Star David over the five. It's like, you figure that out crazy people. <laughs> I don't know where I am. I don't know where you are. That's the problem. Uh, so um, my, my thoughts are, this is just par for the course in a culture that is built on destroying your ideas. And they'll do it directly. They'll do it indirectly. It's the indirect that's more dangerous. This is, this is just icing on the cake. This is just them like wanting to have their cake and eat it too, partying too hard. And so they like, they like show us how stupid it is as opposed to like the indirect way where they've been changing our language over the last 50 years by the use of it on the television. You're just watching sports. You don't realize they're changing how you think. And they're doing it on purpose, right? I have a bigger issue with that. And it doesn't mean, again, I'm not saying you can never watch The Matrix. You got to go into The Matrix from time to time. It's what happens, okay? But like, if you don't know you're in The Matrix, that's a different thing altogether. So short answer, but I do hope that one helps, Eli. Um, I would say go with your conscience. And like, if you like AD, just make sure you write out Anno Domini. Because like, it doesn't mean after death, <laughs> it means Anno Domini, which is the year of our Lord. That's a nice phrase. I don't want to give that up at all. It's the year of our Lord, 2025. It really, it really is possibly that. <laughs> it's very close and more likely. It's certainly not 2021. Um, so anyway, uh, the point is really, who is your religion about? Is it about a calendar? Do you have to have the stars aligned for you to be able to know your religion is true. And if someone says we're going to count empirical years, and this is probably, this is probably what he's talking about. Somehow we're going to have like the new calendar of like the Nova Americana or something stupid. It won't be that, like that name, but like you get the idea. And then it won't function. It'll break. Everyone's going to try to join a different calendar and it'll all fall apart. And anybody who can have their own calendar that they hold on to together has a chance 
of coming through and being the new calendar of the new world, which will probably just be another version of the Roman one because it does kind of work, even though it doesn't, right? But it kind of does. And so that's why we keep going back to that. Uh, it's, it's odd. Um, what day of the week is it? That's important. Like how old is your child? That's important. People have lived in societies without calendars like we count them forever all over the place and way happier because it's a lot easier to just enjoy your day when you don't have 15 things on the calendar. You know, it's, it's an idol. Hello. Um, Chef Fisk says, oh, we got him here on, the, on, this, on this guy here, says, a concerned Lutheran parents. Chef. I like it. Uh, my son is the fifth generation of LCMS in USA in our family since my great grandparents moved here from Germany. Wow. Like that's a Hebrew of Hebrews, you know, Uh, baptized on the eighth day, all that kind of thing. So he is very Lutheran and loves traditional Lutheran doctrine and theology. That's fantastic because oftentimes those who inherit do not respect what they inherit. So great. He wants very much to work as a camp director, theology teacher, primary and secondary schools, and or a DCA type position for the LCMS. Now I'm just going to go out on a limb and tell y'all, I'm sorry, um, but it's true. That's not as Lutheran as you think you is. That's not very Lutheran at all. And to make those kinds of career decisions right now is definitely not Lutheran. I know our colleges and universities would like you to do that. They need money very badly. And the $160,000 you are going to pay to become a DCE, they're going to be thankful you took on that debt for them when you then go take on a job that won't pay you to pay it off, if you can find one, because no one's calling DCEs. No one's calling DCEs. They're out there still, but like, and Lutheran school teachers... People are calling you for peanuts in places you don't really want to live. So like, yeah, so you're going to, you're going to do that. Why? To teach what? Math? I like math. Math is good. Recognize the battle ain't math right now. And the school you go to probably won't even really be a Lutheran school. Say Lutheran on the name. You're going to get the worst worship you can imagine. You're going to have kids having sex with each other. You won't be able to do anything about it because we've got to keep the system going. So let me just, it's not every school. It's not every school. Every school's got a high school, right? Right. So high schools don't always have, you know, they don't have sex usually in second grade. But like, I know what I was exposed to at a Lutheran school. I know that. And that was in the 80s. So like, I'm just going to say, if you're really a Lutheran right now, and your question's a really good question, but it really shouldn't be between DCE and stay home and do something else. It should be between pastor and stay home and do something else. If you're not going to be a pastor, stay home and do something else in your congregation that involves teaching your children, that involves helping with the congregation's property, that involves helping the congregation sing songs better, right? We need men who want to do that desperately. And if you're going to go somewhere else to get a degree, not to be a doctor who cuts people open and makes them feel better afterwards, <laughs> right? Or like, uh, what, an engineer? Um, we've got a lot of those in the LCMS. That's all right. We could use it better, I would think. But anyway, um, you know, if you're not going to go do those, you should be going to be a pastor. Or you should be figuring out how you're going to stay where you are. And it's not going to be getting cast to the wind in a system that will not be there for you. You go through this, you take out this debt right now. The system will not be there for you. It's not here now. We're just lying to her. I Sorry, LCMS. We're just lying to ourselves. Um, are there people who will graduate with DCE degrees this year and do great work for Jesus? Yes. But that doesn't mean the system's in a good spot where you want to take that risk yourself if you're thinking it through. So, I mean, we just had a conversation about black and white issues. You know, yes and no answers is not like that. Yeah. But let me tell you, the, the goalposts have moved on this one from where it was 40 years ago. They have moved a long way. And before you hook your cart to a train, 
you really want to know what train you're on. And uh, director of Christian education is one of those things the Bible doesn't talk about ever. Not even a little bit. Fathers teach your sons. Closest it gets. Closest it gets. Wow, that's, that's something, right? So you go on. It's a good it's a good letter here. As you know, I'm sure our denomination doesn't make it easy for young people who want to make a career at church work. Well, they think they do. They're doing everything they can to get you to take out the loan. They're spending money on advertising. They're building new dorms. I mean, all that they can do, just like everyone else to get you to come to their school, they're doing it. And it's all for Jesus. Nobody is malicious in this. Well, can't say that. Most people are of good heart and trying. That's just it. So don't blame the denomination. As if the denomination exists, people. It's the story again. There, there are a bunch of congregations that send money to an organization that does stuff. And it does what it does. And those congregations do what they do. And they're not the same thing. And then they, that's basically it, right? And then they get together and talk and argue. And we realize, those of us who are in it, we know we're, we're pretty divided. Um, and so are some significant things if they're not pro-life issues, although they sometimes are, trans issues, they sometimes are. So even that is here. Um, so like, it's not like the denomination exists as a thing to think or do or act. Like, so our denomination doesn't make it easy. I, this planet doesn't make it easy, right? And then, is to be sure to make a career out of church work. Again, you want to talk about language, not in the Bible career. Where is career in the Bible at all? Is anything you can expect from any life? That's, that's the modern myth of retirement and the promise of a golden future, right? So, so that language of career and then church work as if there's this thing that's not preaching that is church. <laughs> And you're, well, but what about the people? What about the, yes, the people who speak to each other the words of the Bible? That would be preaching in the Bible too. Prophesying, praise, all the things. And you got a shepherd who's anointed, christened, what do you want to call it? Ordained in order to do it among them, but they do it too. So I'm not saying Christians don't confess the faith, but I'm saying that the idea of church work is like it's this other thing. You get big enough, you have an organization with enough facilities, you need to pay people to take care of those facilities because no one's going to take care of it just for fun. The tragedy of the commons makes that impossible. At some point you need a, 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 a someone with their skin in the game, <laughs> basically. And so look, you're right. It's not very easy to put your skin in the game of giving up your life in order to have your salary come from the church because the church is out of money. The church has spent its money on itself for a while. And by that, I don't mean fixing the buildings. I mean, our homes, our college educations and all of that, right? And that is coming due. It's coming due. It's not paying off. But so don't blame the denomination though. Don't act as if that's one thing. What we are is a lot of individuals who've been listening to the wrong people. And it's time we start listening to the Bible instead. You know, so this isn't what you were talking about. It's like, so the denomination doesn't make it easy for young people who want to make a career at church work. I think we should try to stop young people from attempting to make a career out of church work. I think it's a bad idea to make a career out of church work. I, I think it's just unbiblical. I think it's worldly. I think it's thoughtless, right? That we've gotten to this point where that's how we talk about what we do. It betrays a precocious lack of the fear of God. And I'm jumping far here, but like, look, maybe God doesn't want all our young people to go get jobs that aren't jobs that are like the pastor, but not the pastor. So the pastor doesn't do those jobs or so that we don't do the other jobs that we need to do. There's something just unnatural about the, the, the move. 
which again, in the history of Christianity, is a very, very recent move, right? It's a, it's a luxury item. Um, so I'm trying to defend the denomination right now as a bunch of individuals and congregations doing the best that they can do. But what we have is we've inherited language that if you carefully consider it, according to the times and the scriptures, it's not helpful language. Your son should not be considering a career in church work right now. He should be considering how to be a sustainable human being for the sake of the children he probably will have. That's what he should be considering. And then if he wants to make his theology part of his life, he should go be a pastor if he can't be. Uh, Otherwise, he should make his theology part of his life and just do what he does, right? Where he is. Um, He wants to be a camp director. (laughs) Camp directors are fundraisers that can't raise money right now. It's tough. There's a couple that are making it, but very few. And it's not the job you want. <laughs> uh, golly. And again, you're just, you're, you're aligning yourself to institutions that aren't going to make it. Most of them. If one or two does, God bless the people who pulled it through. And God bless God who did it. Most of these institutions aren't going to make it. If you're going to plan for an education that you're going to spend $160,000 on, you better be able to make money on the other side of that. Right? And that's where even you want to talk about it. it's the preachers. How hard is it to become a preacher? We're trying to make it easier, but it's, it's that kind of money to come out and get, get paid peanuts, you know, by comparison, by comparison. So, okay. Uh, as I know with the cost of Concordia university, it's extremely difficult to get out of debt and raise a family. <laughs> yeah. I ain't joking. Uh, because we didn't want him to go 160,000 in debt for four years of college yet. Yeah, that's Concordia university system. Uh, he is going to a non-denominational college, college of the Ozarks Presbyterian. Uh, believe it or not, my high school, my Second high school basketball coach, main varsity one, um, <laughs> played for College of the Ozarks. Look at that. Uh, where he works his tail off for school in order to graduate debt-free. Well, God bless him on that. I don't think this is an unfaithful decision. He just finished his first semester and his major right now is biblical theology. I'm sure he's being schooled in the fire. The trick, of course, is that if he doesn't have a, a, a strong church to go to over four years, he probably will get moved by this. I mean, you can you can be like, oh, I'm going to stand Lutheran against it the whole way, but like osmosis is a thing at the end of the day, pressure systems and whatnot. And so not having a congregation would be a struggle. So hopefully he's, he's at a church where he is, but I, I totally get being able to do this. One of the um, best future pastors I know uh, came through Moody. <laughs> I mean it. And you know, frankly, at a certain point, he knows more Bible than a lot of people that go through the Concordia systems because the Concordia systems, they're not theological schools. That's not what they're for. I mean, go ask the theological profs at them if they'll tell you the truth. Um, <laughs> I'm not really there to be Christian schools. Uh, they're there to be money-making things to keep the system going. Everyone in it wants it to be Christian. But then again, believe what the Bible actually says. And then saying, I want to believe what the Bible says, like really different things. <laughs> I went like three deep in my own head on that one. So anyway, more of your letter, because there is a question here. Uh, uh, what is your advice for him and or other young people like him who are very Lutheran and don't want to work for another denomination because of doctrinal differences? However, our own denomination makes it so difficult. Our own denomination doesn't make it so difficult. We're dying. <laughs> We're dying. We don't have any money. We're falling apart. All the money that we have is held by people who are not baby boomers and they're dying and they're giving it to us and we're spending it to keep the baby boomer system running. When the baby boomers die, they will not have those big numbers to give to the church. And this is like the next 10 years. You know, I, so, um, and they've been talking about this for 25 years. We've got to do something. It's got to change. Gotta, nothing, nothing's changing. I mean, no, it's, we are where we are in history and it's not in that regard. Nobody can change anything. What you can do individually is see the writing on the wall and decide to hitch your wagon to something that's going to be here. 
And so now, does that mean you're asking those? So he's going to get a job trained to be a DCE still from this other other school, right? Or something like that. And then it's like, well, how do I get hired? Well, first off, if a Lutheran church is going to call LCMS church is going to call a DCE, um, at the end of the day, a lot of them probably don't care if if you're actually callable. They'll just hire you to do it. Of course, those are the ones that won't hire your son because he's a Lutheran and they want someone who's going to have a different kind of theology than him. Now, maybe going through this school, he'll be a nice match with them. But then I'm not going to believe your story about how you're Lutherans of Lutherans, right? Uh, because this is just, this is headed a direction that is away from familial discipleship. It is away, away from uh, binding the congregation together in, a, in an understanding of, of the word and sacrament as preached into you and then confessed out. Like instead, you're, you're sticking with the Deweyite fragmentation of humans into like sectors of age, thereby getting and needing different care, which is made up. <laughs> Uh, I mean, yes. Do children need different things than adults? Yes. You know what they need? A room full of adults. A lot of times listening to someone preach and learning how to deal with it like, all together in one big pile. It's called a community. It's real. Huh? And we want to like manufacture this thing in a bunch of ways. So you, what I would suggest, if he's getting a theology degree from this school, I would honestly suggest he consider going and getting ordained. <laughs> uh, if he's he's gotten that far, what's his reason for not wanting that? Um, cause frankly, there are ordained guys that take care of Lutheran camps and are trying to keep them open. So it's not like that cuts you out. It's just more school because you go and you learn Greek and Hebrew and like the confessions so that you can like have these things they are pretty amazing tools. I, they, I did not recognize at the time. Right. And, and, and I loved it then, but I did not recognize what tools these are. So, you know, to, to go on from those things, um, but he could get hired in a Lutheran congregation for any number of things. Uh, and so it's not about the calling thing is about like whether you get to be on our roster and thereby get tax breaks. If, unless you're ordained, right? It really comes down to that. Does Jesus call all people to their vocation? Do some of those vocations supplement the pastoral ministry? And in that regard, are they work at church? Yes. Okay. But it's, it's, it's just, just doing what you do. Like it's just not, it's not magical Jesus work, right? Um, it's, it's good work. And then when you confess, that's Christianity. That's, that's good work too. That's producing the fruit of the scriptures from your mouth, right? So that you have to fit into this system to make money work. That's the challenge, right? And as the money continues to be like, <laughs> how, how valuable is it, right? And as congregations have less and less of it, what's going to get cut is what he's trying to do. So just be ready for that. Like there isn't, no matter where you are, unless you're going to be working for old liberal churches with big amounts of money or a couple, there are a few, you know, big forward thinking churches that have like lots of investment and whatnot. But those are, those are like getting a chair at a university to teach, you know, they're not like all over the place. So what's all over the place? I'll tell you this. We got another question coming up about it. We got all sorts of congregations that can't call a pastor. Got more of those you can shake a stick at. Uh, Golly, you you can shake a stick. It won't do any good. Um, so do you think he could even get hired and afford to raise a family with a job in the Lutheran church since he won't be graduating from a Concordia? Well, again, it doesn't matter. They're going to pay you peanuts. <laughs> They're going to pay you peanuts. Uh, and so will you be able to afford to uh, raise a family? Well, yes. Perhaps not in the way that a lot of first world families expect it. I mean, we're seven in a three bedroom, four bedroom house, you know? So, mm, I'm the only income. I make more than I make at the church because I do this and you all help me a little bit there. Uh, Patreon, if you want. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's it's not an easy choice. I mean, if if you're honestly getting to choose right now and you're not going to preach until you get killed, I don't know what you're doing getting into church work. Like, what are you doing? It's a game. That's a game you're playing. Like, like get on the horse, uh, especially if you're a man and can do it. Get on the horse um, and, and go die if that's what you want. But a career? No, if you want a career, work with your hands. Work with your hands. And that can include, you know, medicine. That can include philosophy, right? And then uh, bring that to the church and bring all of your love of faith and Bible to the church and expect that to be your full-time hobby. You're going to be a theologian. You're going to be a confessor. You're going to be a prophet, right? While you also do all this other stuff and you will be the gift to that congregation they need. Uh, and it always works that way. But this this like middle ground thing, it's it's not necessary. It's weird. It's weird. It's like we're not content just being Christians. We have to be like super Christians like the pastor. And he's like the super, super Christian. And this just that's just wrong. It's totally wrong. Um, so you know about colloquy, but that is more classes. Yeah, the, some places will call you without colloquy. You certainly can colloquy into the the Lutheran school system, and there there are many fine people trying to make that Lutheran school system work. Please don't hear me saying that like you're you're bad people. I just think we're fighting a game that's over. You know, I I watch sports, and I know when a game's over, and I've been <laughs> watching this one close. This game's over. Uh, it. It's your personal decision-making, right? And so with all of these things that are about risk assessment, I can't tell you the future anymore than the next guy. It's always about accounting for the risk of your horizon. And then what you need to do, what is the best thing to do, is not to make decisions based upon the faraway risks, but to face them based upon the near risks, particularly the near risks that you know that you can overcome if you take them one at a time, but that would overwhelm you in a pile. And you start to focus on those things. That's hard to do when you get shipped off into a debt world and a system that's fallen down around you. It's a lot easier to do when you're at home, just working with your hands at whatever you're good at, studying whatever you want. Right Now, again, to get paid a certain level, you got to get that degree in certain fields. Or you got to be really good at flooring. You know, they get paid way more than I do. I watch what these guys do with their houses around here. They're all blue collar. All of them, they're way nicer than my house. So like, like... The bigger deal is who are you and what do you have to do, right? And, and if, you're, if you're wanting to help the Lutheran church right now, go be a pastor, right? Or stay where you are. Live in the same city as your family, your parents. Teach your kids to live in that city and to value your altar more than anything else. And then be ready to go to a different altar if they destroy that one. I mean, how many years of college do you need to believe that, right? Hmm. I'm reading the rest of the question here. We know about colloquy, did that one. Um, yeah, bachelor's degree, which will offer them the lowest pay, pay scale. What You know a bachelor's degree offers you the lowest pay scale anyway. When you, After you got your bachelor's degree, you get paid the same amount to wait tables as you did when you started waiting tables at 18 if you waited the whole time through. And if you're just starting then, you'll get less. You have to start over, right? So you're better off if you start early, you'll be making more money. The bachelor's degree is not going to make you any money. It's going to make you debt. A lot of debt will make you a slave. And now you're in a system that you're a slave to. And as a slave, you have to go and decide from these options how to make money. And you're not done until you've gotten what? Lots of different random crazy sales pitches that all mean you're a slave. <laughs> so again, my encouragement would be College of the Ozarks sounds fine, right? I mean, I don't know what you're doing. He's going to come out debt-free with an education. This is, this is, this is good thinking here, right? Um, you're understanding that the debt is the problem, that the slavery is the lie about this stored work that you're borrowing so you can sit at the feet of some gurus who have paper that you have to have in order to make money. Right? It's not that they don't have knowledge. 
there's some, but not what all of it costs and takes. It's not that much. I've been through it myself. And, and so it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of comfort. There's a lot of old world. It's all going to go on as it has from the beginning and finances don't matter. And we have these nice buildings and this, oh, it's great. We're moderns. Okay. But that's not where we are now either. Right. And that's, that's it. That's the question is how do you realize it's changed that much? And here, here's something too. Like, look, look, if you're 20 and you decide I'm, this got really weird. I'm not going to go to college this year. You know what? You can go next year and the year after. I know people don't. That's true. People don't. There are people who are like, I'm going to drop out and then they just never go back. That's probably not you. <laughs> Those are people who drop out and then never go back. You're not considering that. You're realizing that maybe it's really hard to make the right choice this year because there's too many variables of risk involved. So maybe I'll just pray about it. Maybe use the Sons of Solomon Psalms for like a year. And then like next year, when I have plenty of time to make this decision still, I'll reconsider it. My guess is you'll know by the end of that year. I mean, it's gonna, you're going to know. But see what I'm saying though? How it's like, it's not like you have to know now. Things are changing too much. There are too many variables in the air. But what is not going to change is the value of the US dollar as compared to the debt load of the average American citizen and that impact upon the institutions that are privately owned, which once were built upon the acclimation of wealth in this country, just kind of, there was it, they were giving it away in a sense that the economy was just growing. Now that they're going to loot that, right? Um, that's going to go away. And those who don't have the funds to contribute to their private clubs, will see their private clubs close. Um, and, and it is, it is what it is. So how are you going to support that? Don't think of your local Lutheran church as your private club, but realize the rest of the world thinks of it that way. For the rest of the world, that's your private club. Okay, so for you, what is it? And if it's the altar at which your God visits you, why are you leaving? <laughs> your father's God visited him there. Why are you leaving? Now, there's reasons. There's many reasons, but I'd say it's the time in history now where we consider that there have been too many reasons and that all of them have been good enough but we've taken them anyway. And here we are. So I hope all of my wandering through your question brings some framework by which you can kind of like find the answer that matters. Cause I don't have the answer for your son. Other than that, I would say, dude, dude, go preach or help me stop doing some other thing. That's not the preacher and not just a man raising his children. Cause not enough. Not enough. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's rough for those reasons. Our flocks are small and struggling and more focused on the almighty dollar. That's not so almighty, um, than on being a people, being a people, whether options make sense that are good for young people. Thank you. Okay. So let's just talk college here for a second. I got five kids. Oldest is 16, uh, three girls, boy, girl. My girls are being told I want you to learn whatever you want to learn. And in this house, I'm going to do all that I can to provide you the tools and assets to explore that learning. And if, if, if that means you want to study at the foot of a master in some way, we'll figure out how best to bring about your learning. But daughters, your value to our future is not you being a debt slave like all the other men. <laughs> Your value is bringing forth more sons so we can rise up and cast off this debt slavery simply by being 
I don't know, a big enough people to not have to be in debt just to have a house. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? And, and so, so daughters, daughters, do you see the power you have to not follow the Pied Piper into one more version of disappointment and live in the suffering that God promises you will endure as you bring about the generation that will not only meet you and greet you at the resurrection, but also pass it forward to others. And my son... And my daughters, I'm telling my daughters, like, you're going to marry a man who wants you to do that, which means you're not going to need to have a career. In fact, if you have a career, that's God bless you. But it might be like you have two now, right? And so my daughters are being encouraged to understand that raising a child from zero to like 15 is full-time job, even if you send them off to school. It kind of, there's a lot goes on, especially when you get five. Yeah. So, so. We're, we're encouraging ours to believe that's good and they have the freedom to choose that. And they're going to, because it's what the Bible says we are, right? So why would they not? No, if they don't, they are their own people and we live in that world. Um, the son, uh, the son is uh, being told the same thing, only he knows he's got he's to get food. Like he's got to feed himself at least at some point. Help me feed us, you know? And so whatever that means, but help me feed us and us being fed, that's our future. That's our future as a congregation. Or as, 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 well, it is too. We're part of this congregation and we want to tell people, like, this is great. Like, join us in our future being here together as a generational belief that this altar is better than everything else that's going on around here and that we want to commit our family structure to providing that for future generations of our family. And that's that's our intention. That's all decisions about college will be about that. So, the idea that you're just going to go off and be far away, this is, this is the great lie. This is how they've divided us. This is how we end up in debt slavery. We have a house wherein we could live and work and everything would be gravy. Like you have, you have five kids who can live and work, buy one more house, uh, get some tiny homes going on, and a generation later, you're all millionaires. <laughs> you know, and then some, because you, you've realized that the real way they suck it out of you is that 6% a year. That 6%, 4% on your loan over 30 years, you add your student le- debt to that, right? Put on that car payment and the gas you got to do to get there. And you're in a rat wheel that, that you don't have to get in, but you do the moment you sign up for student loans. You do. Um, and that's where this question, like, why are they pitching church workers? Because we need people in churches, but what we need more than anything as pastors. But what, what it's a system that's got to feed its own belly, right? Every school needs more students to come in. Otherwise, everything crashes. Baby boom. It went like this. Baby boom. And then oh, it went like this. Here's where we are. Oh, it's coming like this. And then we're like, then we're like one child policy. No, you know, it's <laughs> not going to go well. Um, oh goodness. That's too much on that one, but it's a good question. I feel like I really stuck my neck out there. LCMS, if you're mad, please talk to me nicely before you disagree too heavily. But like, if we're not going to call the elephant in the room, what it is. Yeah. You know, you got a prime rev uh, <laughs> in your estimation. Who has the greatest impact on a child's long-term fidelity, the mother or the father? Father. Uh, say there is a mother who is a Christian. This is, okay, interesting. Say there's a mother who is a Christian, but more lax on how often she attends church services, sometimes even rarely due to things like autonomy, distraction, or social anxiety, but the father attends weekly. In the reverse scenario, is the child more likely to be impacted by the regular attending parent in general, or do I, you suppose it makes a difference whether father or mother? So the, the science is there, at least it was once what is science and who are the experts, but it would appear once upon a time I saw on paper, it was written and printed that, 
how do you know these days, right? Um, uh, but was there was a, a study, I think it was Gallup had done this, and it was over a generation, and it showed that uh, kids who attend church with their father and kids who attend church with their mother um, and kids who attend church with both parents and kids who attend church alone, like the father is the dominant factor in those numbers. Like with like by 50 or 70%. It's such an, it's so far removed from like a game, again, as to being like the, the, the third graders playing the pro team. But that does not mean that a rote father attendance of church is the factor that is at work. What it means is that amongst that group is a larger number of people who talk about it at home. And if it's just the mother and not the father, then it won't be talked about at home as much in public because it has to be private because the father is like the definition of public in the home. And so without a Christian father, the mother is unable to confess in the home naturally. So unless she's going to do so intentionally, the child will get church services with some guy far away who's not his dad and it's really boring. That's all he's going to get because mom doesn't talk about it. And so similarly, father who comes and doesn't talk about it, it's not going to make any difference. I mean, the, the Holy Spirit works. Election happens. A random kid gets pulled. But that's not the plan, people. That's, that's not the way he said to do it, right? He said to do it, father, mother. Uh, and fathers uh, being the headship, uh, and this is headship language is all over the Bible, Ephesians 5, if you're worried about it. Um, but uh, owning the headshipness of it means it's not just, again, the visible reality of him doing these things, but it's that it is a reality. The guy who just goes to church, takes his kids to church, goes home and never talks about it. Some of those kids, by virtue of connection to the the word, certainly, again, the spirit does what he will. He blows what he will. But the percentages are going to play out that those guys, that guy's kids believe what he believes. <laughs> Your children will believe what you believe. Not, not what you say you believe. Not what you tell them to believe. But what you believe in Christianity, oh, God bless this religion. Christianity is a religion of coming into agreement with what you believe, <laughs> acknowledging what you believe. We call it confessing our sins. <laughs> uh, and then uh, having it uh, stopgapped, right? Stopgapped by uh, a better word, a better word. So it's about speaking the word and wherein any Christian recognizes that it is about speaking the word and then does so in the home, that will have an impact. And that the homes where that doesn't happen, it will not have an impact as much. And that if you're going to church, that will have an impact. It's a small one, however, for the kids, as opposed to the adults is really, really big. Like if you don't go to church as an adult, you're just not, you're just not getting the Bible. You're not, you say you are, you're not. (laughs) And so like it's, it's, it, you know, it changes as you are brought up into that. But initially the model is the one who is hearing and speaking. And then you become the one who hears and again, you come into that and now you're going to speak down to your kids, right? Um, please don't take that phrase out of context. You're going to pass the information forward uh, to your kids. So you cannot underestimate the impact of the father, period. And we should not let that get away from us because of the age we're in, wherein the hatred of the father is the primary zeitgeist. Straight up, especially if you're a white one. and But but all of them have it as less than. Just look at who's running for politics next time around. Golly, it's a lot of ladies. <laughs> and, and like, uh, anyway, different topic. The father cannot and should not be underestimated as it, uh, where his impact is. But this should not d- uh, d- discourage the mother. Because in those numbers that we look at, again, the mother who's bringing their kid to church and then going home, it's the relationship with the child and the conversation that you're going to have at home about the word 
that will be the thing that impacts the child. It will impact the child. What words did you speak? You know, and so that's where I am on that. It's important to see the, the impact of the father, but do not take that as a black or white answer to catechesis and, and discipleship, right? Um, the, the black or white answer, if we're going to have one, is the words of Jesus must be audibly existing in reality. They don't get to sit just on a page and have us say we believe them. They will be heard. They will be spoken. And the angels are encouraging us. Anonymous writes in and says, Hey, Rifisk, your revamped website's looking good. That's all thanks to Frisbee the Hand, who has done it all. Here, a moment of silence for Frisbee the Hand and her work on the website. Mm, Raspberry vitamin C electrolyte mix. (laughs) Um... So, uh, yeah, she, she realized, I mean, I've known forever. I just don't know how to fix it. There's like so many things people do you understand how many things there are. There are so many things. So, but she got in there and she's really made it look better at some point we want, I mean, the, the internal plan, uh, right now is to try to move toward over the next year, uh, splitting mad Christianity, com and, um, brief history of power, at least onto different websites, right. So that we, we have a, a different footprint for those things. Um, but she's trying to like, just do like, uh, fire putting out work on the website until then. Oh, what a disaster is web development. Anyway, God bless y'all who work in it. Uh, can you please tell us how much scripture the mad Christian reads daily? Uh, is the question though. Um, you're talking about me or you, uh, what's, what's a mad Christian. Should the entire Bible be read annually? For example, I appreciate your time. No, (laughs) you can. My wife does. It that's a bad baseline. That's a really bad baseline. What what you want is small wins. What you want is the devotion you actually do. And that's again, Sons of Solomon, nine Psalms. The reason it's that is because you can't. And just start with the first one, Psalm 125 in the morning. Do it every day. When you get bored, you're like, I could use more. But don't let yourself get less than that. You can't even do one psalm. Do the first verse. How about Kimba Joshua, Kahar Zion, Lo Yamot, Those who trust in Jesus Christ are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved. Just say it every morning. Start there, right? Get your baseline where it's out loud happening every day. Sons of Solomon, prayers help you get there. Um, by the way, you can try to join the Mad Christian Discord. Search your Discord app for us, the chill, and then ask about how to get into Sons of Solomon channel, and you can be part of that group. It's a pretty important group for the future of the world, I think, unless our Lord tarries. Um, but again, uh, the baseline needs to be something you will do. And that's different for a lot of different people. Yeah. Um, I like the Sons of Solomon option because it starts it where you can build it and it grows. Now, once you're doing all nine Psalms every day and you're like, okay, what's next? Before you do more, I'm going to tell you to add one more thing. And that is add eight verses of Psalm 119 every day. Do a different eight verses. There's like 160 some odd. You know, start with Aleph, then do Baith and, and Gimel. You'll see it. It's right there. It's categories. There are letters that have to do with the poetry. But for now, just take those eight verses and add those throughout your day. You know what I do now? I love this. God, may I do this the rest of my life? I'm not lying. There's some really long red lights in Rockford. And so when I got to go across town, there's some really long red lights in Rockford. And I know if I'm pulling up to it right then, I can, I can easily pray eight verses of Psalm 119 while I'm sitting there without even having to worry about whether the light's going to turn or not. I can just put on some music and pray it. Mm, that's so good. <laughs> and like, and then doing that seven times in the day, five times in the day. So 
what is that again? I'm looking for you to get some consistency in your devotional life, studying scriptures that are worth studying and you understand until you understand them. And then adding the, uh, understanding the prayer life of the Bible is the most important part of the Bible once you believe Jesus is risen. And all the didache, all the teaching, that comes as a result of the habit of the prayer life. And in fact, the Psalter over time will teach just about all of it. It takes the key of Jesus Christ and the revelation of his actual in time crucifixion and resurrection to make all that work. But that's where I would start right now this year. Join us in this one. And ladies, there, there are other Psalms you could read, uh, but uh, I have heard that there have been ladies who just are reading them. And as long as you don't say you're a son of Solomon, I, I can't stop you from reading the Bible. Um, the Psalm 119 thing, I mean, everyone in the world should be doing that, honestly. Uh, so from there, again, it's, it's the devotional habit you will actually do that matters. And the idea that breadth is more valuable than depth, um, that's what I would want you to kind of work against. Because we're in a world where I think I have to do it. I think I have to do so much. And if I haven't done so much, then I haven't really gotten anything. When the fact is, again, just reading those Sons of Solomon Psalms every day for like three weeks, you're going to get so much out of that. Why? Because you're not doing wide. You're going deep. And so you're having time to be like, what does that mean? Well, I didn't notice how it said that. Well, this part connects to this part. That's what you need to have happen. That will not happen in a, I've got to read it all. I've got to read it all plan. Now, if you're just like, I just like reading a little Bible every day. And you can read enough to get, I mean, dude, read the whole Bible in a year. It's great, right? Um, But that's just not, that's not white belt, right? That's like, What's the big one right before black? Um, it's this way up there. Yeah. Um, so from there though, okay, so if you're not, if you're reading the Psalms, just praying the Sons of Solomon Psalms, you're reading Psalm 119, I would encourage you to also always read at least one proverb a day. Consider just reading a whole chapter. Just kind of let your eyes drift over it. You don't have to read it really carefully every day. Just kind of skim that whole chapter every day. Very useful, right? Just a little time in the Proverbs. From there, if you're going to church and not a pastor, okay, I'm a pastor, so I have a certain requirement of study, and then I also have like what I want to study, <laughs> and that maybe doesn't even apply, right? Because um, it's lore, it's lore, and it's real. Okay, anyway, um, if you're not there where you're ready for the lore, uh, what you want to maybe do is figure out what your congregation is going to have as readings this week. What's going to be the reading your pastor is going to preach on? Get that a week ahead of time and read that every day that week. There you go. Plenty of diversity thrown in. And you're like, but it won't. I won't get the whole Bible. Look, take five years and do this first. Okay. And then from there, I guess, I think you're going to read more Bible after that. It's just going to happen. Right. But start, start with what's easy and in front of you. And it's going to grow you as opposed to deciding you're just going to go bench lift. Oh, look at the sweat marks. You're just going to go bench lift. Yeah. Um, no, 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 no. So I hope that helps. I hope that helps. And I mean, if you can get through the Bible annually, that's it's a lot of reading. It is a lot of reading. Um, you know, I, I've known people who listen to it as well. I think it's important that you would get to know certain texts well. Um, let me give you one more. What's your confirmation verse? Get your pastor to translate it into the original language or point it to you in the original language. Memorize those words, that vocabulary only in the original language with it. Say it every day. Learn what it means. Quit thinking you know it if you just read it once. Learn what it means. That's that's my advocacy there. Yeah, Daryl writes in. He says, uh, "Dear Pastor Fisk, thank you for talking about pastors." <laughs> 
it's, it, we're not we're not a friendly club us we're not um you're welcome i'm talking because i we just got to talk and we can't pretend anymore um, I'm in my 50s and I can retire from my job in a few years. I have no intention of pursuing 30 years of retirement leisure as I see that as a waste of precious time God has given me. Yeah, more or less. Um, I mean, my guess is you're not, even if you were leisurely, you'd be doing stuff, it sounds like. So there's no such thing, right? But that's its own danger. Uh, instead, I am praying about whether or not I may be called to full-time ministry. As a pastor, do you want men in your congregation to focus on supporting you or does it make sense for a man my age to pursue ordination? So, Daryl, let me tell you a couple things. First thing is this, like you are so incredibly valuable if you are going to retire with an income, okay? With like 30 years, if you're military and you're retiring with an income in 30 years and you go become a pastor. So of the 6,000 some odd LCMS congregations, that's like 3,500 are not, they're called non-calling congregations. What does this mean? A non-calling congregation is a group of people who worship the building. And so rather than realize they could do something with those assets for the sake of the church now, they cling to that building until they all die and then it closes. But, some of them are Christians. So there's this weird thing where there's like idolatry and Christianity managed to stand beside each other and the spirit's always fighting them. You know, so it's always going on in every church, Augsburg 7, Augsburg 8, and you should look that up sometime. Um, so if a Christian pastor goes into one of these congregations of 15 people with no requirement whatsoever that they pay him a dime, except maybe, you know, help him out with, here, here's some money, here's your stipend or whatever, right? But he's fully just, I moved here, I live here, and I'm your pastor now. So what happens is you can redeem that building. You might really piss a lot of people off. Um, and I don't know. I mean, the Lord's going to do that anyway. So like, and here, here's it. So some of these congregations are in the middle of nowhere. Maybe that's where you'd like to be. Some of these congregations are like in cities, like downtown still, right? Like, so you got, you got an income. You can go live downtown in some city and just walk into that church and be there for 30 years. Dude, do it. Totally do it. Just don't go, don't go take a cush position. Go to war, man. Go in and say, I'm going to have an income. Send me to the hardest place to be. <laughs> I'm ready to go. You got a few years of, of learning. Now I'll say this too. Now that's all with that. The special ministry pastor program is a way for you to get ordained without going to the seminary. It takes less time. It takes less money. You get to stay local. You work under your pastor and then you would become a called pastor of that congregation with or without pay, but you wouldn't have to be if perhaps you saw that there was one of these congregations I was talking about, like down the street. Right now, you and your pastor can talk about and with that congregation down the street about how you could be its pastor. And you would have all the say in what happens after that happens in the regard that you're paying for yourself and you're helping them. Right. And so what do you do? You go in, you care for them. And if well, you, you, you tend the soil, right? Well, things happen. People leave, people come, you know, things happen, but you would be able to, again, select that local, uh, what outpost, um, and attempt to redeem the land. Yeah. Um, so you're in a really great place uh, and I highly recommend you doing it. Um, I think you should talk to your pastor about SMP where you are for that reason, because you don't know what's around you and the assets that you have on the ground now are the assets you have on the ground now. Why would you give those up for some ludicrous dream about all of it coming together again four years from now? Is the world going to be here four years from now? I mean, I think it will be, but count that in your thinking a little bit, right? At least pretend we believe he's coming back. And so, um, with this said, right? So I've said, do it where you are, SMP. I've said, yeah, you can go to seminary, absolutely, and tell them where you want to get called. Send send me to somewhere it don't matter because I can pay for myself. Because most guys, they're being sent somewhere where they're going to starve in three years, or at least that's what they tell them. That's what it looks like on paper. You know, God's in charge and it's a real test, ain't it then? Um, so, hey, look, Rockford, 
move here. Let's talk. I got church that way. I got church that way. I got church that way. And there's, there's going to be more. Um, and and it's, there's going to be more. So, you know, uh, come here, pray, worship, learn, work, and, and help. Uh, wherever you are, it's the same answer uh, if, you're, if you're willing to see it. Um, and I will say this, that to go the strict route of LCMS training, that is a classically the approach to becoming a pastor in the LCMS right now, I, I can't recommend it. I have good friends who are involved in the process and do recommend it. So we were allowed to not all agree. Yeah. Um, but I, I can't recommend it at this time uh, unless you have a particular need, a particular need for a certain level of actual cross. Like you're really just too comfortable. <laughs> and in that case, yeah, absolutely go to seminary. Absolutely go to seminary. Um, because there is something about uh, what you're going to have to go through right now and where it's going to spit you out that um, if you're too comfortable right now and your faith needs to just have its teeth kicked in, it's coming. Go, you know, and embrace it. Like that's, that's to live. Don't hear that as me telling you not to go with your shielder on it, man. With your shielder on it. So, uh, Here's a story. I've left this up here too long. It says it's graphic. This is a, a analogy as a question. So this is not a true history because making up a question in order to ask you whether or not you should say yes to a vaccine. Now it's, it's clever entomolic. I don't disagree entirely. However, it's, it's, I'm brought to mind a professor Desi who taught me both Shakespeare and English at Sonoma state university, um, as if they were different things, but he taught me how to write. Uh, and, uh, one of the things he said to me was that I reached too far. <laughs> I reached too far uh, with my analogies. I still do. Um, but in writing, I do it less. And if you've read Echo and Broken, you, you know that. Um, so uh, this is maybe going a bit far with the analogy, but I do get it. And I don't disagree. So we're, we'll walk through it here. So anybody who doesn't like hearing stories about maybe graphic things, it's not that graphic, but it kind of is like two-year-olds. They're just doing what they're doing anyway. Uh, the year is 1000 BC in the charming town of Mirka. So it's a story. It's completely made up. Okay. Money is tight. So a mother and a father take their infant child to the local Moloch statue. Moloch being an Old Testament god of death, Canaanite god. Um, kill babies uh, is what it does. A uh, statue and burn him alive to make Moloch happy. That's how it worked in, in old Canaan town. Um, uh, uh, is that how the song went? A small hand falls out of the fire. Okay, so like they burn the baby, but they manage to save some baby parts. Interesting. Uh, later that night, the town healer finds the hand, takes it back to his house. Oh, so the, now the medicine people think that the baby parts are good. You see where this is going yet? Um, he is amazed to find that the hand is still alive and has amazing replication properties. You mean like stem cells. Uh, and soon it doubles to two hands, then four. He realizes the potential for a living hand for medical experimentation in his town. So he clones the hand in order to continue to use it uh, for himself. 50 years later, every major healer in the region has a baby hand or 10, like all of the stem cells, you know, infant cells that we have in various uh, facilities and labs and Petri dishes all over the place. And many have used them to test helpful new medicines. Oh, Johnson, Johnson, how are you doing? This is good because a plague has arrived and people are afraid. I shouldn't just say Johnson, Johnson. The um, I'm losing their name. Uh, the mRNA vaccine was tested upon Petri dishes that involved these things too. So while you don't have the babies in, the, in it, um, it's the, the company is the company. Um, let me read the firm. <laughs> uh, this is a good... This is good because a plague has arrived. Okay, it's not really good, but right, the hands, the, the the baby hand that we have cloned now will save us, as the story goes. This is good because a plague has arrived and people are afraid. Hundreds of healers come together and produce a new potion, which they say, uh, they test on the baby hands and they say it works. Everyone in the area should start to drink it. Eagerly, they come to your home and offer you the potion. Do you drink it? This is very meme-ish. Yeah. Um, 
It makes me think of Voldemort too, for some reason. You mentioned the idea of blood guilt. Now, it is a real good question here. So do I drink it? Well, no. I mean, you're, you, you told the story so I wouldn't, right? If only it were that clear, except that it is, but that it's not. Because you think because you saw something on TV and heard it that you saw it and heard it and everyone saw it and heard it and we all should be in the same place. But the way this thing's working, and it's always been working this way, it's just worse now is that what you saw is what you saw and what someone else saw is what they saw, even if you're sitting in the same room. And over time, the scatterbrained effect of that on all of us cumulatively makes it so that nobody has a clue what's going on when we talk about vaccines, even if last week I made an announcement about how they all kill babies, which I don't because they don't all. But even if I said that, no one would remember it the next week. Gaslighting, okay? So, like, your story is cute, but it's not going to win. And that's that's where I really got to come hard on this a little bit. Like, there's a lot of investment here to make a point that, is obvious without all of the investment, uh, either we're wrong for supporting companies and medicines that murder babies or we're not. And I hear locally again where the mRNA vaccine, I, they made it so we couldn't tell you it was actually wrong, just that it had been used wrongly. And then with the TV gaslighting, who listened to that announcement? So, so then what are we going to do? But then again, talking about it and keeping it vocal and seeing that um, announcements, I mean, not all vaccines are the same. Not all vaccines are vaccines. They don't all inoculate in the same way, right? That kind of learning, I mean, is that really what your church is supposed to do? No, we kind of have to. That's really what your men should be talking about, huh? When they get together and talk about the future and how they were going to protect their families from those other families that tend in history to destroy families. I mean, it, it happens everywhere. Why we think it doesn't happen here, I, I don't know. Um, so, but you, your other question's um, kind of a good direction because it's, it's like, okay, so let's say, Oh, so sad. I, I made the announcement about the Johnson Johnson vaccine um, as I could, and it was too late for someone, that poor person's conscience, who I immediately forgave and said, you know, you're you're absolved from this. But what, blood guilt. The question is, so what happens? Like, does God carry that guilt upon that one shot into you into the future? And the answer is like maybe, yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, and and so if if you're standing too close to to like Korah, you fall in the pit. I mean, you're given a chance to come out. You're called come out. I mean. Does that mean you go to hell? No. Okay, so stop confusing what you see with the justification of God in Jesus Christ and the blood atonement and blanket that he he shed to cover us and realize that, yeah, so blood guilt's real and that's why the blood of Christ covers us. It atones for the blood guilt even of the present and future sins, particularly, oh Lord, preserve me from hidden ones, right? From, from the unknown ones, the one I didn't even know I did until after I did it. Oh, Baby ducks. So like, mm, could I expand on blood guilt? What, what I mean by that is this, um, that when evil is done that sheds blood, that there is a cosmic reality tied to this because there's life in the blood. And the whole Old Testament believe this. And the New Testament is based upon the premise because it's how the blood of Christ as a man's blood does what it does. We don't believe none of that because we're all a bunch of scientists now. And we know only like Jupiter can tell us the future or something. I don't even know what people listen to these days. But like the that idea that that a man, even as opposed to a woman, has a blood that has a power naturally, creation first article built into it, that uh, when it is shed uh, is in fact a great evil that ruins the land. That happened with Cain and Abel to begin with. There it is, right? So when we continue that, and what's the ruination of the land, right, uh, that, that occurs, these, 
it's really a promise, a curse of scripture. And then the promises which are the beneficial ones. They don't go away. What they do is they teach us how it's functioning now. And I think this is why, honestly, uh, Acts 15, uh, the Jerusalem counselor letter, uh, they tell you to abstain from blood. They're not talking about pork sausage or something silly like that. They're talking about not shedding blood. The Christian, if you know, you're, you're a Greek becoming a Christian. And they're like, you're like, do I have to get circumcised? They're like, no. How about you don't shed blood instead? And we're like, oh, we're not supposed to, we have to do the Levitical codes on these three points. Well, no one does that. So we won't do it. And we ignore the letter. There's alternate older traditions to this letter and, and murder is very closely tied to the idea of blood. So again, the idea that shedding of blood is evil. I'm not talking about, you know, I scratched myself. I'm not talking about like I got cut open to do a surgery on my wrist, although that only happens in an evil world. Okay. So, but I'm not saying you can't have that happen, but what I am saying is to recognize that when blood is shed brother against brother in the anger of man, attempting to bring about the righteousness of man, what you have is inequivalent forward casting echo fractalizing results that are exchanging, I should say inequivalent, equivalent that are exchanging that evil into further replications of itself. If in no other place than in your conscience, Okay. If in no other place in the conscience of the one who shed it. All right. That idea, blood guilt, shedding blood brings guilt in your conscience. Okay. Um, that's what I'm talking about. And then knowing that God built the whole place to run that way. And there is a way in which the corporate group can build up enough guilt. They can fill up the sins of their fathers, blood Guilt, uh, they can fill up the sins of their fathers. The father set them in pace to do this and it becomes a thing that God finally has to knock over. I suggest to you that our cities are like working on this one right now, right? Where those, where those parades are going on and they aren't talking about Noah. <laughs> They're talking about all sorts of shiny shimmering lights in the sky that are being used to like wave it in God's face. Um, yeah, that's, that seems like uh, a place where blood guilt is is building toward Tyre, Sidon, Sodom, Gomorrah, and uh, the earth will not be destroyed by fire. I'm not expecting, or excuse me, the earth will not be destroyed by water. I am not expecting fire and brimstone to fall out of the sky. I'm actually expecting this, them all just to kill each other. I think you're going to turn on each other. I think that, again, the, I've talked about this all over the place, right? The barbarians are coming. So you're just going to have people who, who just take stuff. They're going to be roving groups, families, uh, immigrants, people who've been here a long time. It doesn't really matter. Groups are going to group to defend themselves. And then some of them, because they're, they aren't Christian. Uh, they're going to just take stuff from people. And again, where are you in this, right? How are you aligned with a city in which there's going to be nothing but blood guilt, tribal warfare, uh, ruled over from far away by politicians you can see, but can't talk to right? When that city collapses, do you want to be in the city? And I think Kuntz will go further than me on this, but we have to ask him that. But the, the scriptures are very clear that the cities tend to be the places that build up iniquity and then are crushed. It just happens historically. And so when Christ says in, in uh, Matthew 24, 25 about Jerusalem falling, like, when you see these things flee to the mountains, uh, it, there's, there's a lot more thematically going on in that phrase than him just speaking off the cuff. Uh, he really does mean there's a wisdom in going to the places. We talked about this earlier with turnip, you know, going places that are out of the way in order to just continue being who you are while God punishes those who deserve it by their own hand in some way, right? Um, so uh, that, there you go. That's, that's my opening salvo on blood guilt and Acts 15 having something to do with it. Um, my idea that Acts 15 has something to do with blood guilt is definitely outside the box of current 
in favor exegesis of the text across the spectrum. Um, but I'm, I'm just, yeah, <laughs> twisted things, uh, twisted things. So hope that helps anti-Moloch. Er, that's great. Two more questions. Anonymous says this, my wife and I have been greatly troubled this past week when we discovered that our LCMS home congregation had a messed up understanding of the Lord's Supper. Yeah, I mean, you guys are playing the same golf course I am, right? I'm just, I just played more rounds. That <laughs> You're surprised. I, you aren't surprising me. Have you noticed yet? So before you send questions, remember, however bad you think it is, like that's kind of the bar right now. So, <laughs> not everywhere, but a lot of places, right? And so the surprise is the part. It's like, stop being surprised. The devil's been at this for 50 years or more. Divorce being allowable as just sort of like everyone, why not? That was the sign. Okay. That's 30 years ago. Um, so, I mean, I wasn't really here to like make any decisions, but I feel the results of it. I've seen the results of it. The traumatization is real people. So like, all right, all right, all right. Uh, not only have we been practicing, uh, so the church, here's how, how you're seeing that they, they don't have a true view of the Lord's supper. Not only have they been practicing online communion this year, which we already knew. Yeah. It's not, it's not really like the most faithful, like pioneering thing you could do. Um, but in digging through older church documents, we discovered that her pastor, the congregation, your wife, uh, had publicly stated that on multiple occasions he had laymen and probably laywomen, uh, but this is an assumption, say the words of institution during the service of the sacrament and during visits to shut-ins. Yeah, so, so, oh, this is so weird though. Like there's a point at which saying the words of institution is not only is hard. You hold the bread, you hold the cup, you talk or you sing. The point it's not that the pastor has a special charism within him by which he makes all of it work. The point is that is that Christ has made it clear that a congregation is to be shepherded by a, by a shepherd, by a single voice. The point of that voice is so there's not confusion. So there's an evident father figure, an evident representation, an ambassador, an apostle, an elder. It doesn't matter what you want to call it. There's so many words, servant. All these words in the New Testament, even priest, will work. It's got a bad understanding if you do it one way, but it's fine other ways. We know that there needs to be a singular voice for it to work. And so anything that you would do to diminish that knowledge and to work against that is is just, well, again, it's, it's hatred for Christ at a certain point. No one knows that, but it is what it is. You're lifting yourself up at the end of the day. Um, so what's going on here is that, you know, the confusion of, the office of the ministry as the public figure, the public Christian, the, the one who's the Christian in front of everybody. That's why he does the Lord's Supper. He's, he's authorized by us as the guy we all hold accountable together. Um, and we can see he's the authority figure. And so that's how you do it is you let him do that. And then when he does wrong stuff, you're like, that's the guy in charge. Let's get him. <laughs> You know, as opposed to having, when a, when a pastor does that and starts spreading out his authority in this, not in the sense of like, there's a way in which authority is given to give down, right? It's always given to share. But when he starts instead uh, watering down his, his position and authority, he's not doing that for, for you. His life gets easier the more he doesn't have to do the work he called him to do. <laughs> See me there? Uh, so uh, he probably doesn't even know. That's what's happening. Again, the, the, the difficulty is he doesn't believe there is such a thing as a pastor. There's, not, there's like not a difference for him. And I would say that, that I can understand that 
given some of the ways various people argue about it, even within the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, there's, there's another string of this that goes way on the other side. But it's quite clear that uh, Timothy is to appoint overseers in every town. It's quite clear that the office of shepherd exists as an authority in the church. And if nothing else, it's the guy who talks. So the fact that the guy who talks is like, you talk instead, it just means you got a really bad shepherd. Like he's not a shepherd. He's like, I'm not going to shepherd. Uh, okay. <laughs> right. So yeah, you should be upset. And it doesn't have to do with his theology of the sacrament, certainly, but it's bigger than just a theology of the sacrament. It's, it's actually a theology of headship. It's a, it's a, it's a fourth commandment issue. It really is. Uh, she is worried about her parents who are currently there. I heard a story again this week about a lady who's an ELCA member who's mad her church hasn't opened up in the last year and is mad that whenever it was there before, they just talked about stuff that wasn't in the Bible and there's no more Bible stories. But this lady is not going to come to my church. So I, I again, I'm like, look, if you sit there and swallow it, you sit there and swallow it. And if you're never going to discern, eventually you're going to buy anything. Worry for your parents. Pray for your parents. Pray for your parents. Ask your parents for the opportunity. Uh, ask God for the opportunity to have a conversation with your parents in which you're able to give them what God wants them to have. Don't assume you know. Ask for the opportunity and the wisdom to speak in such a way that they're able to have their souls encouraged through the midst of what you see to be, and really is, a heterodox practice. But let's, let's keep the line here at heterodox here for a second and recognize that as much as I really disagree with the practice, I mean... There's a lot worse that could be going on if this is the only problem. It's just a sign of things to come. And it shows you, it shows you your strong men in the congregation are hidden. Is what it shows you. Uh, she is worried about her parents, again, who are there, uh, and what effect it has on their salvation. Well, over time, heterodoxy just kind of becomes what everyone hears and thinks it normalizes itself. And so he might not be preaching against pastors, but his preaching of Christianity can't really be done very effectively if he doesn't realize pastors actually exist to say and be different than everybody else. I know as a model leading ahead and having you hopefully follow, but still nonetheless, say and be different. So uh, anyway, I, and again, I don't know enough about the real situation. Don't just take everything I've said and go slam him with it. Um, that ain't fair. Um, but it, it seems evident their DP has no problem with this. So again, the LCMS does not actually exist. Uh, it, it is a story. There's an organization that actually exists, but but what you think of as the LCMS, it does not actually exist. What you think of as a district also doesn't actually exist. What you have is a district office with a guy who's elected and called a district president. And he has a couple of tasks he's supposed to do, including visit every congregation and make sure there's always people being placed whenever there's a call. And uh, with that and the fires, like they can't do any of it. <laughs> like there's more than they can possibly do. The job is not one that I, I would really want to put myself into, but a lot of the fires have to do with the office itself and the structures it is built around, in theory, visiting and having pastors called. But again, to think that the DP then in that madness is going to walk into your church and have authority. There's no authority. He doesn't have any authority. His authority is to walk in and be like, I have authority and you shouldn't do what I say. But if you don't, he has none. It's, it's, it's a wet noodle. The DP is a wet noodle. And so if you have a good trusting relationship where you're all living together as Christians, it actually works out pretty well. If you don't, it's really, it's just like an extra paycheck is what it is. Now I'm not talking about any specific DP. I'm talking about, how hamstrung the office is. And that's in spite of the office of DP in almost every district accumulating power to itself over the last 50 years to try to make itself stronger. Um, and this goes for the council of presidents as well within the church body. Uh, 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 
it gets ugly. It gets ugly. Um, but it also is all a story from far away. That's just what people are doing in rooms. So the real question is, where's the money? <laughs> like you can't have a big group of get, get together, fly from all over the country and sit together in a room and call themselves the council of presidents when there's no money to pay for it. Right. And, and so that's, that's where like what really exists right now and who in those offices can realize the, the time limit of those offices, the lack of power of those offices and start to redivert resources away from things that are collapsing institutions. He's certainly not going to go in and try to fix the communion policy at any congregation um, unless he's a particular DP that has a particular beef on that issue, which can happen. But don't expect that. You're, you're, looking, for, you're looking for help from princes. These are princes. They're far off. They got other troubles in other places. The only prince you got is your pastor. Your mayor. Uh, <laughs> thank you for us and chill your sermons. Brief history power. We've been strengthened in the faith of your ministry. You're welcome, Anonymous. Um, I didn't really turn off my phone. I'm getting all these dings. Who is this? Okay, so um, it all just fell. I'm trying. I want to give one more statement here uh, with regard to how to talk to them about your concern about the supper. So the documents from the past, I mean, it's like, it's really what's going on now. Um, what you're picking up on is that there's a, there's a, you, you see the water and you're like, Oh look, there's bubbles there and that's brown and mucky and it's moving this way. And that's what you're seeing. But those are like, not what's the problem. Right. And so I don't know what, I mean, the problem is what I've been saying before. We don't believe the Bible. We believe a lot of stuff that we say. And then like the Bible says stuff and we don't believe that. And reconciling that in every congregation that there is right now is the only lesson plan we've got. <laughs> I think it's the only one, right? Like put your money on that. And, um, and so for, for your parents, like, look, the Lord saved people throughout the middle ages through the Roman Catholic church that was doing it all in Latin. People were saved. Jesus did not go away entirely. How, how much, how much, there's a lot of oral and audible. I would imagine there's a lot of one-on-one monk to a person and so forth. We know discipleship and conversation, the sacrament was there. It was gradually taken away. People were still baptized. So like, again, pray for your parents where they are under the shepherd they're at. Pray for that shepherd. Pray the Psalms for that shepherd. Pray the Psalms about your enemies for that shepherd. Why not? What's going to happen? Jesus will answer the prayer rightly, right? So, so go at it that way. Recognize that this is a ally that has been deceived as opposed to an enemy that is attacking until it becomes an enemy that attacks. And then you should have the ammo in your hands to be like, okay, you should leave. <laughs> right? Hear what I'm saying? I hope this helps. Man, I, I'm glad no one in the LCMS actually listens to this show. I've said way too much today. <laughs> really? Um, Anonymous says this. I would be interested in perspective. No one in the LCMS, I mean like in the... There are lots of Lutherans who go to LCMS churches. You're, you're not really in the LCMS. No, uh, not really. There's like, a, so I, there's like the organization and then there's the whole subcultural social network of political attempts to run and control and understand and live as if the news from that organization is what matters in the world. And it's not a really big group, but they, they feel big when they talk. Um, and, uh, most of you aren't in that group and you don't want to be, you just want to be at your congregation, which is great. Uh, so anyway, why? too many wheels within wheels. And what I've said today, I'm not going to make friends in every corner. Um, but again, it is what it is. Anonymous. I would be interested in perspective on the thin line between real mental illness and lack of self-control or sinful nature. Golly, is that a good question? Me too. Uh, I have heard you talk about your 
CPTSD, let's call it PTSFC, post-traumatic stress, flashback complex, for me, that helps explain it. Uh, Recently on the podcast, but do not know the particulars, that's all right, we seem to be hearing a lot more about mental illness in general, Hmm. and it's because they need to put you on drugs. Seriously, they've been doing it to us, boys particularly, since the 80s, um, and it's it's about weakening the male population, Pharaoh and the boys in the water. Just think it through. Nothing changes. Um, we seem to be hearing a lot more about mental illness in general so that they can put you on the drugs, and it seems that almost everyone is affected by it and or struggling with it. And actually, this is the thing, though, too. Yeah. Um, you, <laughs> you often hear people from other evangelical backgrounds talk about being affected by the spirit of this or that as well. Sometimes I think we don't give enough... Uh, give our own simple natures enough credit. I would like your thoughts. That's good, good stuff there. Mm. And last question for the day too, here at 1130. So, um, there's, there's a lot of good stuff here. Um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. I don't know that it's all true, but I know that you can't be worried about certain things until you have the leisure to be worried about them. And that those fears tend to be greater because they're wider, further, more contemplative, and therefore more difficult to get rid of. Like you can't fix it as easily. But if you're just trying to eat today, like you don't got time to be traumatized. <laughs> you, know, you might be, but it you're just going to do what you can do. Now, where's the fine line between a lot of human history being horrible family environments wherein this is just what it is? You're just trying to eat and survive in muck and you hate each other. All, all people are sinful and unclean. We've fallen, right? I mean, why, why are we surprised? Just because we managed to put on the Stepford show, right, for a bit. Um, <laughs> so, so there's that. Um, I think that television is traumatizing to children. I think everyone who grew up watching television before age five, if not before age 12, is has a certain level of human trauma. And by that, I mean a... Uh, a broken ability to communicate authentically with others in such a way that disagreement, we were talking about this with Turnip, in such a way that disagreement and complexity and maturity develops. The TV does not do that, but instead gives you the appearance of a culture as you mimic brand shows and put stuff on and say this, that, this, that, but it's all made up stuff. Um, so I do think though that when you show children particularly young children, so many images that they cannot process them. That alone is trauma. When you think of what the images are a lot of times uh, and how violent and or sexual and or grotesque and or whatever, I, I think back to the stuff I watched as a kid. I'm like, Unico? Yeah. So anyway, uh, you know, you don't even know, right? <laughs> so um, I'm pretty convinced that most people who grew up after cable TV have some level of functional sociocultural trauma as compared to somebody who would have just walked off the street, you know, hundred years ago, who might have been starving but wouldn't have been like so hunted all the time, <laughs> right? Like, if you're this, it's not just the coffee. I got plenty of coffee. <laughs> it's 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 the trauma of too many stories and your inability to reckon your own salvation myth in the midst of them. And as much as your religion can have you tell yourself the salvation truth. Your body doesn't always listen to what your head says you think. It just feels what it feels. And especially when it's being pumped spiritual feeling all the time. Um, again, let me suggest that, yeah, there's a whole lot of trauma out there. And that's not including people who then have stuff at super young ages that stunt their ability beyond the TV. You know, uh, I, I would not suggest that someone who 
grew up watching the Flintstones is as traumatized as somebody who was molested as a child in their basement. Right. Um, but if you found porn around age six, there's not a huge difference. I mean, there is, and yet it's still trauma. (laughs) So like, where's the line and who's more traumatized than who, and who can be the biggest victim? Like the point of me talking about this is like, I'm, Post-traumatic stress flashback complex originates in parental habits exclusively. If there's such a thing as a victim, I can't say it on TV, but no. (laughs) I inherit the sin of my father's no matter who I am. It does not make me a victim between you and me. And all the more regenerate in Jesus Christ, baptized into his kingdom and knowing I'm a son of God according to his word, that will not be taken from me. That is what I am declared to be until it becomes. Well, let me just say that, you know, trauma is what it is then. There's something greater here than that. Does this mean that becoming a Christian makes all of your traumas go away? No, 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 not at all. Please, no mythologies of super amazing overnight and miraculous. I'm better from everything. That's, that's the lie of the pill. I don't take a pill to fix your trauma. Right? Feel. The trauma is really the answer there. So, um, yes, I think many people are dealing with traumas of various kinds. To watch the things we see on the TV are to see traumatic and tragic events, and we're pumping them into ourselves. What does this do, and how does that relate to people who are traumatized as young children and don't develop certain types of emotional uh, conversation? Raise my hand. Um, and, uh, And then how does that intersect with, well, as you said, self control and sin? So I've said this a couple of times, and I think it's really um, true, although I don't want to be held like dogmatically, uh, dogmatically accountable for this one. Um, but uh, CPTSD or uh, PTSFC, as I want to call it, um, I lost it. That's all right. Uh, I'm not going to get it back. Oh, no, I am. There it is. It seems to be a very acute case of sin. It is an acute case of inherited sin combined with and turned into an acute case of present sin. Wherein the sin of anger manages to be like an an amnesiatic reality that you forget you experience to return to a idea that you built as like a two-year-old in order to make sure you could believe you were loved. And, um, that's rough. (laughs) That's rough. Um, but it's, it doesn't mean that when a flashback occurs and I unwittingly have been put into a position of anger by a habitual pattern of thoughts that exists to convince me as a two and a seven and an eight year old that I'm not hated and I forget about it so I can live in the world as if I'm not hated. Right. But again, this builds up into the emotion and the stress and all this that you have to like, you know, uh, leads to all sorts of other problems. Um, having that flashback moment where I have a childhood emotion that I don't even know is here. That's here. And it's causing me to have a lack of self-control does not absolve me from a lack of self-control. It only means I now know where I need to mature 
my self-control. Feel me? And so it's so good to be a Christian. <laughs> Start over. Uh, they, you know, again, again, new every morning. So um, I think that the line between mental illness and these things is one that has to be walked very carefully because you're not going to shame somebody out of mental illness. You're not going to moralize them out of men- mental illness. But what people can do is find hope in the promises of Jesus Christ, apply real historical uh, diagnostic tools to family origin patterns and systems, compare that with what the scriptures say, and use your baptism to reprogram yourself with what you know to be true, and, and walk your way into self-control because you want to control yourself. And that's completely different than you'd better, or if you don't, or why not, or do it this way, right? That That's... That's the shame that we're all dwelling in way too much and wherein the particularly acute case of sin is just like every other case of sin and still has the same answer, which is that he is risen from the dead. You are paid for. You're immortal now, and he's not going to be long anyway. So if you find yourself with something as cross-like as a diagnostic that means literally you lose your emotional memory once every couple of days for several hours and you have to deal with a lot of pain and trauma to figure out where that went, but you can also shrink it. Well, it is what it is. It is what it is. It's one more opportunity to fight the carnal man. My version of the carnal man is so acute, I can see him. <laughs> like he literally shows up like Hulk, right? And, uh, uh, you know, um, and anyone who wrestles with this knows, knows what I'm talking about, is what the flashback is. That doesn't absolve me from it again. Um, my, my having no choice in the matter doesn't mean I don't, I, I should just wave my flag now. I have a choice now, don't I? I'm here now, aren't I? I'm a man, aren't I? I mean, if you're a woman, you're a woman, aren't you? So like you have a choice. Your body does not have to tell you what to do. You can tell your body what to do. It takes a mind and a heart working together. And again, PTSFC kind of tears those two apart. So it's, you know, work them together, but we all have that again. It's just, it's just sin. So like, yeah, it's a fine line, but I'm not going to say I don't have this particular diagnostic because the diagnostic comes with a prescription that happens to be really good at working my like tangible, actual reality into the self-control that I believe I'm promised in Jesus as I continue to pray for it in the Psalms and preach him risen from the dead, right? So the overlap here for the Christian is going to be very different than the secular world. And it's just not going to be that easy either in a sense, because the secular language is always going to be filled with all sorts of problems. Um, as is, is really clear. Even the idea of like self-rescue, right? Lutheran's like, what? And well, you have a self and it's not evil to be a self. And that's what we say about Jesus and us. So yeah, self-rescue. When you stand up in the morning and like put on your own clothes, it's self-rescue. And it's the kind of emotional task that people with PTSFC don't, don't have, right? And we have to learn. We get up and put on our clothes, but not as part of just like, this is good for us. It's instead a different thing. So anyway, yeah, that's more of me. Um, I want to get to, uh, you're hearing people talk about the spirit of this or that. All right. I think this is, this is helpful. So not a fan of Pentecostalism, not a fan. Uh, and so this language coming out of Pentecostalism that we're going to like see the spirits run around and we're going to cast them. Oh, the computer out, out from spirits. Okay. And like, so you're trying to name and claim the spirit. And if, <coughs> if we can name the spirit of fear, then we can exercise our authority over it and drive it away by the power of the son of God. Right. And the problem is that, that that entire system is like tied to like making our economy work better and like, you know, making your car work. And there's all sorts of hootenanny that gets involved. But there's something about recognizing that there's a group dynamic that 
can occur. Uh, the Sons of Solomon Psalms refer to this as our soul. And it's the idea that in a group, you're not only individuals, but that you are one soul as well. And generally the Father will be the manifestation or representation of that. And whatever room you're in, whoever is the leading male or leading female, if there is no male to lead, or if they're all just cowards, um, whoever is uh, the leading dominant body is going to be the one that's kind of like feeling the spirit of the group the most and then in, impacting the spirit of the group the most. And indeed, if that person's afraid, everyone else can get afraid. And yeah, there's a spirit of fear in the room. Doesn't mean it's a demon that we got to like name and claim to make it go away. No, we should recognize we're all afraid of nothing. Talk it through. <laughs> Does that mean there aren't demons who instigate spirits of fear? No, torments are a real thing. It's like the shooting from the hip Constantine demonology that we really got to keep away from. Okay. Um, and instead, uh, recognize, I like this language better because what I've said recently and God be praised for my father who baptized me with his own hand. But I've said recently, that's the ghost of my father. Okay. Now again, what, what do I mean by that? I mean that there is a vocabulary I used that I heard that I know he heard that I know he heard that I don't want to have my kids say to their kids anymore. And I would like to exercise that ghost. Now, what is that actually? My, no, it's not my father at all. My father lives like in Springfield or not Springfield. In Missouri. <laughs> My father lives in Missouri. He's not here, right? It's the ghost of him. It's the idea that isn't even really him. He wouldn't even say that if he was here. It's some other thing I've carried forward from, again, my own world. But we all have this. And, and so to see it as that, that, we, that the spirit of something isn't even necessarily a person. Demons aren't necessarily persons, okay? Um, they're sometimes just bad ideas. <laughs> and so to exercise the bad idea, to stop thought, thought stop the bad idea and replace it particularly with eternal word of God. I just don't think you can go wrong trying to do that, right? Uh, Putting the eternal scriptures in place of phrases you hear, words you say to yourself that are from other places that are the ghost of the spirit of whatever, right? The spirit of the age, the zeitgeist. And and so we shouldn't be, uh, ghost, geist, should not be afraid of talking about uh, the geists, Uh, the spirits, but how and where, and again, the, from the hip demonology is mostly what's out there. And, uh, well, stay tuned, stay tuned, praying about this one a lot. Honestly, we need, we need to have our nomenclature figure that one out. So, Hey y'all, thanks for watching Saturday morning, chill Patreon. If you do not support me on Patreon, would you, it does help. I've lost, I lost a little bit recently. So like anybody who wants to jump on, you've been thinking about it for a while. Patreon.com slash Rev Fisk. Five bucks a month is really the, the you know, the, the pitch. If you can do more, super helpful. Brief History Power with Two White Guys. My podcast every week with Dr. Adam Coons, where he teaches me our context in history. Totally useful. You can find it wherever podcasts are, by and large, to search for it. You can also find everything that happened here this morning, as well as my sermons on that same channel uh, and uh, as an audio form. So feel free to join in with that. The Mad Christian Discord, or Us the Chill on the Discord app. It's an entire online community, a city online, a network for you with Christians who, by and large, want to be Christians who are trying to figure out some of the more challenging aspects of the present evil age. Please join us. It's a great, it's a great place. Um, you gotta look for us, the chill on the discord app. Discord app goes on any platform you are using. I know I am forgetting at least one announcement. I know mad Mondays. Have I forgotten mad Mondays? Mad Mondays is the newsletter, the email that you need to get. I heard recently somebody, somebody came to my church from far away and they said, thank you, Pastor Fisk. I said, you're welcome. And they said, I read mad Mondays on Monday. 
on Tuesday, on Wednesday, on Thursday, and on Friday. It's my only news source. I just split it up. I read it all week, and I get the next one the next week. And you know what? I know everything I need to know. Hmm. Mad Mondays. Go to refuse.com slash newsletter and sign up. I'm not kidding. It's the best kept secret for the elite conservative mind on the web. Well, maybe not the best. It's the best today. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, Mad Mondays. (sighs) So, like, the hardest thing is opening the show, and then it's closing the show. Uh, especially after what <laughs> two hours and 45 minutes of straight talk. Um, it's like, how do I bring it to the zinger and make it all feel so good? So we go out with a punch. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to try to like get a gear here. Focus on y'all. Say, Hey, thanks for being here. Keep me in your prayers. Most important thing I say today, if you're a man, pray the sons of Solomon Psalms, get in those Proverbs. Jesus is risen. <laughs> Most important thing. All the rest of it. Part of the conversation, part of us trying to be confessors together, part of us realizing that while the world is going babble, we want to unify and we're going to unify around what the scriptures clearly say because those words will never pass away because Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. So why would you want to mallow in the muck with those who have no hope when you could lift up your eyes all the more together as you see the day approaching, y'all? Rock on. We'll catch you next week. Was that worth a dollar? Click the Patreon link in the show notes to sign up. Pretty please?